universe? Am I in another like universe that where this happened and I just have the memories from it? Am I in frequency right now? <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined as always by the voice of CinemaSins, Jeremy Scott. Hello! And from Music Video Sins, Barrett Share. Hey everyone, and I was listening to the old, like, episode 15 that we were talking about uh, last week. Yeah. And not only has the audio quality improved overall, but when you introduced us, you were like, here's Jeremy Scott, and Jeremy was like, hi. <laughs> from music video since bear chair i was like hey, hey. <laughs> what the fuck man that's what happens when you're stuck in a closet <laughs> yeah um, that was the episode we were all in the closet yeah, right? yeah um bleak but uh so it's been a while we're gonna talk a little bit about our movie theater days i want to tell you a story let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat and leave your bullshit attitude and baggage at the door because we don't need it today yeah. again we've done this what four separate other times yep. yeah um and yes we probably are running out of stories but i guess we got a few left plus i could start making some up if you want <laughs> it'd be like kramer <laughs> i'm gonna be borderline making stuff up today i mean really quite honestly um the theme of the stories that i have today are was i really there did that really happen i'm not quite sure if it did Take so, it away, man. Um, so, all right. The first one that I think back fondly on and uh, and I sit here and go, did, did that actually happen? I'm going to say that I probably misheard what I heard this customer say, but I have struggled over the years, and it's been a good 20 years <laughs> since this has happened, to figure out what I could have misheard in this whole thing so this was 1998 and a movie called the avengers came out and oh. it was not the avengers yeah. we know today this is the ray fines uma thurman sean connery remake of a tv series that came out in 1998 and was a piece of shit it was yeah, awful it was it's terrible oh it's one of the worst movies ever you do not want to watch this at all you can't believe the level and talent involved yeah um honestly uh the story i if i recall is that sean connery is playing this guy named something dewinter mm -hmm. or whatever who wants to control the weather ah, <laughs> yes and that's the big evil scheme it's kind of uh you know you're old school british spy type of shit yeah yeah um so uh i think everybody knows what kind of movie they're getting into uh when when you you know look at the poster for the avengers mm -hmm. and you see the trailers and all that although i think over time i, I figured out that people in general uh, there's there's a lot of people there's a like a i don't know a wing of the populace out there that they don't know. They see that they don't see trailers. They don't mm. see. They go to the theater and look at posters and say, "Oh, that's right up our alley," even though they <laughs> don't really know what it's about. Especially in 1998. Yeah, especially in 1998. <laughs> um, so, uh, uh, at Williamson Square, my old theater, we used to have lots of downtime, just sitting there, like just talking forever for like two hours, waiting for the next set of shows to show up, which is. 
I, I realized, boy, did I have it made. Back then. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you go to Hollywood 27 and there's like a show every fucking 15 minutes. It yeah. was like, what, what happened to all my downtime? <laughs> um, but uh, so just sitting there talking and everything and these people come out and you always, if you're at a movie theater and I guess any place where there's complaints or whatever, you know, the complaint walk. You yeah. know that there's going to, the people coming out of their theater, they have some shit to say. Juiced up. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, God damn it. What happened? And, uh, and, and so they, they came out, this woman and her son came out and said that, and, uh, and yes, I'm, I'm in the deep South. So I heard a lot of these, uh, uh, complaints start like this. I'm a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? She definitely said that. She definitely said that. The weird shit's not it hasn't even come up yet. Keep in mind, by the way, that I'm a fairly new to even though I guess I'd been a man assistant manager for like three years or whatever, I still I, I, I think every complaint you sort of look that stone faced mm -hmm. no matter what they say, so that you don't give off any bad impression or whatever. <laughs> But she starts off saying, yeah, I'm a Christian. And he, she points to her son and he's a wizard. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> this is before Harry Potter. So it can't even be that. I sat there and nodded. <laughs> of course. Why wouldn't he be? Uh -huh. They all Go are. On. They all are these days. <laughs> Fucking 90s. Um, <laughs> But she went on to, to tell me that the reason why that they wanted to get a refund was that they felt it was demonic that somebody could control the weather. <laughs> oh, my and God. And that this was, you know, against Christian values and uh, all that type of stuff. And oh, I wow. was like, Whew. okay, well, I mean, <laughs> here's your eight dollars. Yeah, back. here's your money back. Uh, we, you know, and we probably gave them refund passes. That's what you usually want to do. But. Uh, but but they but they left, and I think I remember turning to the box office person who heard this conversation, and I said, I think I remember asking, did she say her son was a wizard? And he, I think he shrugged. But that's it. That's part of the thing in my mind that I'm like, I may have invented that. I may have. It may have not actually happened, right? Like I could have just, I could have just heard that and said, "Oh yeah, wizard," and then just and just and didn't ask the person if that if they confirmed it or not. Like uh, all I know is I didn't get true confirmation from anybody, and all I did for the next twenty something years is go, "What could I have possibly misheard her say?" There's not much. Like everything that you could come up with in place of wizard is is not good no. either like no. wiccan uh, <laughs> lizard there's not really much that makes much sense especially if you lead with i'm a christian <laughs> like it, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna live your household i'm a christian but my kid he gets to do other shit yeah, yeah, he's, totally. he's a, he's <laughs> he's a wizard shit. <laughs> he, 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 uh, oh, you know what we're a very very tight christian household but we let our kids decide what kind of bullshit that they're into <laughs> The lead that was buried is that she really thinks it's demonic for the, the he, weather to be controlled. A, isn't that the weird thing, right? The story, <laughs> regardless, the it's story, a story. Yeah, the story is is that she said wizard, not that she thinks this is demonic in some way. Like that should be the fucking story, right? That should totally be the fucking story. Maybe she said he was a willard. 
Ooh, yeah, like that maybe. episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> right. You you mean of the Pennsylvania Willards. <laughs> um so yeah, man. Um still to this day don't know. And yeah, I had I had quite a few of those. People were I mean, most of the time though, it revolved around they went to a movie and they didn't think it was going to be so harsh or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like I guess and I had I remember people coming out of City Slickers two mm. saying that it was just too rough, and I was like, yeah, but you brought a six year old. Yeah. What, yeah. what are you doing? You know. Um, and sometimes people like we didn't really have a guide on what kind of trailers we put on our movies. There's a common sense sort of rule on a lot of those things, but sometimes people who didn't really follow that common sense of rule would put something stupid like a a really like uh you know fucked up trailer on a kids movie and you're like eh, what, what are you doing <laughs> you know it make any sense dark um, city yeah well somebody put uh like surviving the game on some it was some kids movie and like you know the in the tra- even in the trailer ice tea is like something bitch <laughs> 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 and like they come out and complain oh no that's uh, kind of understandable <laughs> that makes sense yeah. <laughs> well you always had some you know at least in a big operation like hollywood there was always projectionists that were just lazier and mm-hmm. you can never really you almost had to go behind them and make sure the trailer packs hadn't been you know just mindlessly thrown together yeah and make sure that right nowadays you probably easier to avoid that kind of thing yeah well they they now they do this i mean once i like carmike i think they gave you these things for the trailers but they never like made a big deal about what you put on like i usually i used to put whatever i wanted on any as long as it was appropriate um were they each individual reels or was uh, there like a package that you built they're like this this big mm. these trailers mm. yeah little in tiny tiny mini reels mm. yeah they, yeah that, that it had, had a little core in in between them and they look like yeah mini records or mini bagels or something like that <laughs> <laughs> mm, uh, yeah uh, but uh i used to put i used to always try to connect the trailers with the movie so mm-hmm. if it was sci-fi I put a bunch of sci-fi stuff on there and that probably got pretty close to what they wanted anyway sure. on those things but uh you know sometimes you see that once i got to regal where they actually you know said here you have to put these trailers on we had and they had trailer checkers that they people actually their job was to come in and check trailers oh yeah and make sure the right ones were on like secret shoppers almost like Interesting. yeah although they weren't very secret they always had their little tablet and all that shit with them and everything and and every once in a while they come up and talk to you and say i didn't see this one on there and a lot of times you just didn't have the trailer mm. but yeah a lot of times you know sometimes you would think that you would have the right thing like we had some complaint about a harry potter trailer being on curious george um and and uh and it was almost the same kind of uh complaint there the the my son's a wizard my son's a wizard and and, and look the 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 harry potter series is bullshit for wizards and uh (laughs) you know but it was the same no it was the same sort of deal like they were christians or whatever like that and they you know the whole magic thing was a was a big deal it's funny i grew up very christian and i don't remember there ever being teachings against watching stuff with magic in it oh like, yeah that's man. a different kind of fucking bullshit right okay there. well i had a little bit of that yeah i don't think anybody ever told me magic and wizards were demonic mm. but it was so antithetical to what christianity suggests about the nature of the universe that we weren't allowed to watch a lot of that stuff hmm 
Um, and I remember people around us, people in the church saying stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Strange how far I've come, huh? Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> okay, so are you done? I'm done. All right, I'm going to tell a story I didn't even write down to tell, but I just was reminded of today um, about when I went to Regal Cinemas University. Mm. <clears throat> it sounds thrilling. This is in uh, <laughs> Knoxville, Tennessee. Yes, uh, Regal, uh, I think still is headquartered in Knoxville, think Tennessee, so. even though they're part of a larger entertainment group now with UA and all that other stuff. Um, and so this was basically... You go to the home office for a week. They put you up in a hotel. You get a per diem for your meals every night. But during the day, they had to actually set up this little room as a classroom. But it looked like a theater. There was a concession stand. There was a popper. There was a drink stand. And then there were all these little desks in front of it. It was basically classroom training slash motivating you. And I I might have talked about this a little bit. Uh, I did come back from that motivated i Mm. wanted to be a better manager i came up with these like like incentives like yeah incentives for Mm. the employees like theater bucks and whatnot and all this all these tips that they had told us this is when i did talk about this this is when i implemented that the complaining customer turned him into my secret chopper turned out he was a pedophile Uh, because i had come back from this week-long thing where they told me to turn your complaining customer into a secret chopper um thanks regal Uh, so anyway so first day of classroom training very first thing that, that they do is they go around the room and, and everybody has to stand up and they ask you a question about the theater business and they want to see how much you know. I'm the first guy to go. Yeah. I shouldn't be. I'm in the third row, one seat over to the right. It's a completely random choice. <laughs> you go first. I stand up. What's the ratio of popcorn and oil or <laughs> popcorn to oil for the popper? Mm-hmm. Now, in my head, I'm like, motherfucker, I have never cooked popcorn <laughs> when I worked for Regal. Last time I cooked popcorn was in Illinois working for a tiny chain like I'm. I run the booth. I run the staff. I'm yeah, looking yeah. at numbers and P&Ls and shit. Come on. And so I sat there for a few minutes and I go, four to one. And he goes, that's correct. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yes. Uh, but the real reason I want to tell this story. So you're in this room for eight hours a day with 15 people. And they're all, from all over the country. There was this really hot girl from Houston um, that I tried to flirt with every single day, and I didn't get anywhere. Uh, but this is where I first learned how much the average American young adult binge drinks. <laughs> like, we got done, and I'm like thinking, maybe I'll go see a movie, maybe I'll chill in the hotel and watch some TV. And they're all like, where are we going to party? And every single night, we would go out to eat, and everyone but me would be sloshed by the end of it. I couldn't believe <laughs> how dinner? much these people drink. Like... <laughs> I, I could not believe it. And then everybody's hung over the next morning. And of course, the reason I couldn't get with this girl was that she kept getting too hammered. Oh. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, let's, it's starting to become less attractive. <laughs> anyway, the uh, entire reason I'm telling this story is <laughs> this one guy named Jeff. And I, I think he was from New York. I forget where. But he was one of these. He was the effervescent life of the party class clown guy. Everybody loved him. He was funny. He was outrageous. He talked a lot, cracked a lot of jokes. But the only thing I really remember him for was every single meal, he talked about the website he was going to make one day that was going to make him rich. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I apologize in advance to anyone that actually Googles this or types this in, because I have no idea if he ever made this website. But it was customjarsofcrap.com, <laughs> where he was going to let sickos on the internet tell him exactly what to eat. Oh! Uh- 
Oh, and then he no. would poop into a jar. Oh, no. And ship it to them. Oh, no. Oh. And he talked about it a lot to where I lost my appetite at times. Uh-huh. Because the very concept is icky. But he he was so enthusiastic. Oh, my God. Like, he, he was convinced this. And for all I know, he did it. And that's a real website. And he gets 100 orders a month. I have no idea. Because I've seen some weird shit on the internet. It would not surprise me if someone wants to buy someone else's custom meal crap. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. But, um... That's one of the most outrageous individuals I've ever met in any setting, especially some kind of a work training that environment. Is crazy. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure he got with the girl from Houston that I wanted to get with. Wow. What? Yeah. Of wow. course he that's did. A, that's a coda she, right there. Of course <laughs> he did. Again, you're less attractive to me now if you want to be with that guy. Jeez. Look at how much of his day his mind is devoted to this idea. She's a fecal filiac. Yeah. <laughs> fecal filiac. <laughs> Coining terms on this. Episode. I've heard this before. I don't know where. But I did not make it up. That's funny. Um, oh. it, it is insane that your story is shit based because I, my <laughs> next one is shit based. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> awesome. This is a very, very short story. Okay, so this would have happened in probably 1993, the first year that I was working in a movie theater. And I. I sincerely doubt this type of thing could ever happen again without something like some sort of, you know, media blitz, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? I don't know. There's probably a lot of shit that goes down in, you know, service industries that mm. we're not sure about. But um, so in 1993, I was 16 and I was in concession stand. Mm. And I did. I hated concession stand, man. Good God, did I hate that. Yeah, it's awful. Like, just could you? I, I loved working the floor, tearing tickets and cleaning theaters. I'd rather pick up the trash than like than serve, serve it. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but uh, again, I'm going to tell you a story about was I actually there? <laughs> because I can't believe this happened. Um, so we're cleaning up concessions. It's the end of the night. We've got our drawers back in the office. They're counting the money and all this other type of stuff. And, you know, we're getting all of our stuff clean and everything. And uh, the manager at the time, the the assistant manager, uh, comes out. The, now, I'm, I'm in, like, one of those island concession stands where, like, everybody from all sides can go to the yeah. concession stands. It's right in the middle. That's how the Williamson Square one was set up. Um, and uh, so, like, you could see the door that led to the back rooms and everything. The office was to the left. And then you saw all the inventory and stuff like that was all back there. So he came up to this door where the concessions was and he just started laughing maniacally. And then he walked off and me and whoever else was in the concession stand looked down and he had put a turd (laughs) on the ground and (laughs) walked off laughing. What the hell? And again, this was 24 years ago. Did this actually happen? How do I remember it if it didn't? Am I in another? Am I in another like universe that where this happened and I just had the memories from it? Am I in frequency right now? And like, and like, I mean, he quickly got it back up. But he just wanted to see the reactions of our faces. What he the picked fuck? it up. He had pe- yeah, he picked oh, it shit. back up. 
He 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 just wanted to. I think he just wanted to see the reaction. I think he like wow. had, he had done it earlier in the night, like went the number two and everything, <laughs> and like saved it or something, or he just or he just did it and he picked it out and then he like. But the the fact is, I didn't see what he put down until he laughed and he walked away. <laughs> And, and and we looked down and we're like, no, we were like, he didn't. No, that's not real, is it? That's not real, is Maybe it? Maybe it was a prop turd. Maybe I don't think it was. Barf. <laughs> I, I I just couldn't believe it. I can't remember if I see now. Now I'm tr- see. I'm trying to remember if he. I think he's the one who actually had to pick it. up. I mean, he he's not going to make us pick that shit up. Sixteen years old. I, I, yeah, again, did that really happen? I can't believe that that happened. I can't believe it did. Well, I don't have any more shit-based stories. Oh, Good, I don't God. either. I could tell the story that I only heard secondhand about how when they opened that theater, they did the premiere for Black Dog there, that Swayze Trucker movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Bob Seger was apparently in the movie or on the soundtrack yep. and went number two in the upstairs booth bathroom. Oh, okay. Which was off limits to customers, except for Bob Seger. Hey, so that, yeah, that uh, the toilet upstairs had quite a few celebrity asses on it. Was it, was it like Tom Petty did it once too? I think so, because um, I remember you telling me about Tom Petty being there one yeah. night too. But I guess Bob Seger also, huh? Nice. Well, that was before I was there. I think before you were there. Yeah, it was definitely before I was there. I do have a Hollywood Twenty Seven store. I think you were there. I think you were there that night. Oh yeah. But this is. Uh, Probably my biggest projection fuck up ever. Mm. Now, this is back. Okay, for those of you kids at home who only know digital cinema, this is back with film <laughs> where we had to build these movies, right? And <clears throat> sometimes, especially when we had this one particular female GM who was kind of obsessed with with moving prints around to different houses to try and maximize the size of her theaters, uh, you'd have to move this ginormous flat cylindric film that's already built from mm-hmm. one platter to another projector's platter. Now, if you have two people, you can generally get your arms under there and widen them out enough, one on each side, and you've basically got four points holding this thing together. Usually it's tight enough, too. Yeah, that's the thing. It depends on how tight it was built and how tight it is around, because some platters, maybe it was just the brain, but some, some of them were not as tight as others. Mm-hmm. Now, we had some tools to help us move prints, right? We had clamps. Mm-hmm. which go on both sides. We would often just tape it up with a bunch of masking tape. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also had this wheeled flat table thing that you could slide a print off of the platter onto this table and then just push it around like a shopping cart. Mm-hmm. I chose none of those methods mm-hmm. <laughs> to move Scream 3. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if you remember this. I do remember. But... <laughs> most everybody in the theater business enjoyed Scream 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Um probably because it plays so much with movies and quoting dialogue like we all do and whatnot. So there was much anticipation for Scream 3. And this was large. It was a big-ass print. Average movie, six or seven reels. Kids' movies, five reels, sometimes four. Now, I don't remember Scream 3 being that long. Please say it was big because I'm about to drop it. Well, here's the thing. (laughs) I know you're about to drop it. The thing is, though, is that even if it was a short movie... And if it happened to have been loosely built or if it had run through a projector or something like that, um, there's a chance that it could have looked bigger. uh, Because if you run through a projector and the sprockets are just such a way, it'll stretch the sprockets out. 
every single one of those sprockets are stretched out to the point that the movie looks bigger than normal. Right. Now, if this was just built, by the way, this explains a lot of shit. I wasn't here for this, but I guarantee, I know a story tangent to this, but go ahead. Okay, well, I want you to tell that one in a minute. Um, now, when you're one of the prominent booth managers, like Chris and I were most of our time there, sometimes it's just a pain in the ass if you got to move a five-reel short kids movie print to call somebody on the radio and wait for their ass to come all, all the way down the hall or upstairs to, yep. to help you move it. So I devised this method of taking one hand and going through the hole mm-hmm. and putting it under the film on the far side. Mm-hmm. And then I would use my other arm under the film on the near side of the hole. And I would kind of awkwardly shuffle like this. <laughs> and if it wasn't a huge move, I never had any issues with that, with a decent sized, small size print. Mm-hmm. Everybody has already gone down. That list. I think we had three or four prints of this, maybe more. Yeah, it was a lot. And we had a lot of projectionists that weren't managers at the time. And so everybody wanted to watch this. And some were going to watch together and some were going to watch to check their own prints that they had built. But everyone is gone. <laughs> and I'm going to move mine down to, to, to number 13 and I'm going to watch it there. And so I put my hand in and put my other hand in. And I know, I know as soon as I do it, <laughs> this is a stupid idea. This is really dumb. But I don't want to go pull anybody out of their version of Scream 3, their print, to help me move it. And for whatever reason, I couldn't watch it where it was. I think it might have been even on the build table or something. Um, so I get all the way down the hallway. This is probably 50 yards. Mm-hmm. I'm three feet away from the platter. And it just disintegrates. That's what it usually happens. <laughs> and so now I have at least six or seven reels in this, what I always called a salad on the floor. Oh, shit. And I basically have to go through this <laughs> and fix it and put it all back in order. And I'm it's it's so tangled, I'm going to have to cut it in several places to untangle. Oh. And then remember to go back and restitch that together. So right about the time, I think I made 30 cuts in that print. Mm-hmm. This is terrible, Damn. by the way, because the next day, that print's performance is going to be awful because it, the splicing tape is going to be much more obvious. It's very hard to make perfect splices every single time when you're making that many splices. And but all I really cared about was getting it off the carpet where it was going to get scratched all to hell and back in the right order. And I finished and everybody came walking out of their scream threes like, oh! We saw that movie. What happened to you, Jeremy? What are you doing? I didn't. I didn't even get to watch it. It was like three in the goddamn morning, and I was like, "Fuck it, I'm going home." I spent like the entirety of that movie. I know it's over two hours long. Fixing my copy of that movie. Oh my god! And never again did I move a print by myself like that ever again because I was so pissed. Because I know better than that. I'm like I'm the guy that prides myself on you know I only made one bad splice build it movie ever. Um, I, I wanted to be good. I, I'm smarter than that, and I just <laughs> oh, I just failed. I, my eyes were too big for my stomach. Scream uh, Scream Three is just under two hours by itself, but you have to also factor in about 15 minutes of pre. Preview. I'm so wrong about this movie, except um, the fact that I dropped it. But it, it, <laughs> it's, been wrong. it's a chance that it was a seven reel movie. I mean, sometimes they would just, for whatever reason, they'd stick that seventh reel on there and it'd be like mostly, mostly credits. credits yeah. it, I did not know about the Scream 3 issue that you had, actually. Uh, but it answers a question that I had always had about Scream 3, because on opening weekend of that movie, I had seen it in another auditorium. 
Um, and I don't know if I saw it the night that 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 night or anything, but I watched it and everything was fine. But it was within a couple of days that I heard a complaint from somebody who had seen the movie and then saw it again. The next day, they said there was an entire scene missing. <laughs> so I cut a scene out of the movie? There's no other explanation. <laughs> Where did I put it? I don't know. Oh, my God. Because I thought I'd done it perfect. Unless, unless for some reason, it just really didn't have that scene. But it wouldn't make any sense. The, 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 the scene in question was that uh, Sydney Nev Campbell goes to the old goes to the set where they're shooting the movie. Okay, and when she's in her room on the set, somebody dressed as Ghostface shows up and she jumps out of the window yeah. or whatever. Apparently, all the lead up as far as the seeing the Ghostface there and everything <laughs> was gone, and she was just on the the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> whatever <laughs> i was just trying to get it back down to six reels you know what i'll tell you what i'll tell you what's even worse about that i don't think we ever replaced that print <laughs> do you remember if it was 13 it, it was somewhere around there oh my god yeah, I, I, I think i remember hearing 19 at the oh, time but man. that was like right across from 13 I wonder if we discussed this 20 years ago and i've just forgotten there's all about a possibility it. i don't know oh I, all i remember was uh i saw i saw the movie with another projection and then afterwards i don't think anybody because i saw that movie late yeah so it, it, it could have been well after you were gone yeah. or whatever like that all i remember was two days afterwards hearing that complaint and i was like that just doesn't make any sense Every, I was like, everybody watched everybody watched the movie they didn't say anything was wrong with i it. edited scream three i'm gonna put it on my imdb page i'm gonna tell you something uh, what what Jeremy has described here has happened to me more than twenty times. Oh Jesus shit! Christ. Um, the the reason being is yes, you do have clamps. Yes, you do have other people that can help you move the movies at times. Uh, yes, you do have a cart that you can put the movie on and all that. But despite all of that stupidity of not using them. That you have a job to do that takes forever yeah. on a Thursday night. Uh, and, you know, obviously this does is not a problem anymore because it's digital. But when, you know, you're done with the week and there are all these movies that have to get moved to different places yeah. and all this other type of stuff, putting clamps on them. <laughs> Taking it to somewhere, taking the clamps off, putting the clamps on another movie, taking it, it so on and so forth, <laughs> takes forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I decided a long time ago that um, that it was worth the once in a year time that it happened where a <laughs> where a salad happened on the on the ground to not go through all of that. <laughs> And I, you know, I was, I, I would, I would take responsibility for it if they wanted to dock me pay or whatever. I don't really give a shit. I hate putting the clamps on the movies. And uh, so, yeah, that happened many times. And what would happen for the most part is when you would move a movie, it would have the first three reels would stay right there on the ring. And the other three reels are the ones that would just go. <laughs> it was like, it was like you could hear the accompanying like Hollywood sound effect. It would be like. <laughs> with, a, with a muted. 
(laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I did this with the movie Inception once that took me like three or four hours. That one was at least seven or eight that was a long movie and i was moving it one day and just like that and it and i got to the project you're always at the projector when this happens (laughs) it's like how accidents happen within like a block from your house yeah well the thing is is that you're carrying it pretty okay up until that point but the problem is you have to take it from a vertical to a horizontal Mm -hmm. and that force is what causes that issue and uh, I'll remember when I was in New York, uh, I was at Atlas Park, and I believe it was, there were two movies I did that with. The Illusionist was one. I didn't want to watch the movie. I ended up having to because I <laughs> fucked it up. Um, did you cut any scenes out of that one? No. I was actually pretty good. Ex- I think maybe from Dust Till Dawn during that story that I told many, many <laughs> podcasts ago, From Dust Till Dawn. May have been the closest, but I think I kept that intact too. And there were must have been sixty splices yeah. in that thing, and that's not great because when it's going through, it's just like a constant barrage to that projector. Yeah. And if you're not good at splicing, especially, you know, it's just—I mean, at the time, I was like probably pretty novice at it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's happened many times. It also happened with, I believe, Princess Diaries two. I had to watch that. <laughs> I had to watch uh, that bullshit. Did I, t- uh, I told Barrett outside, but I didn't tell you that uh, I saw a headline the other day, or at least I didn't tell you on the podcast, that said, why Julie Andrews isn't going to be in the new Mary Poppins movie. <laughs> my, my instant reaction was, because she's dead, idiot. Why did you write a whole article about this? And I had to go Google and find out, oh, she's not dead. <laughs> totally still alive. And for some reason, I had just been con- absolutely convinced Julie Andrews was dead. <laughs> nope, she's alive. Oh, man. Um, I guess the uh, the final was I there was actually a pretty cool thing. And this also happened at the Williamson Square movie theater. Um I had I had become a projectionist in '95. I this was also in 1998. This happened. Wow. Um, tying it into the Nashville Predators yeah. when I was watching back then in 1998. Yeah, yeah. On uh, the old Channel 30, they used to put it yeah. on. Yeah. So I in 1998, uh, a lot of changes had happened with the theater where I was basically upstairs all the time, and they just didn't need me downstairs. Mm. And uh, so. I had an old TV up in this little office and I could watch stuff like Predators and stuff like that. Um, and this was their inaugural season. Mm. And uh, whenever somebody uh, on the other team gets a penalty, they play the psycho music. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, and so it's, it's, you know, the, it's a, an excuse for everybody to do their fang fingers and everything. <laughs> Although that's not nearly as prominent as it used I'm to be. I'm glad. I always thought the fang fingers was a little silly. Yeah. I don't mind yeah. the psycho music, but mm. I don't need to, make air quotes in time with it yeah and 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 it used to be like on the jumbotron or whatever they would have like chris farley doing the quote thing the the voice guy would even say fang fingers yeah yeah well he doesn't he still he still does that he still does that we just sort of ignore it now because (laughs) nobody does the whole you know finger thing it's like uh the wizard tim from uh monty python (laughs) 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 right yeah so they would yeah they would put a whole bunch of clips of people doing like the fang fingers on the on the screen or whatever but um so in 1998 if you recall the movie the remake of psycho was coming Uh, out yeah ah the baffling shot for shot remake the baffling shot for from gus van sant of all people uh with vince vaughn and hache and uh et al um so um 
I I always think about the crazy amount of coincidence for this thing to happen. Um, I'm watching the Predators on this channel. Uh, this this you know whatever what a thirty UPN or whatever the fuck yeah. it was back then. Uh, whoever the Predators were playing got a penalty. Uh, the 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 music started playing. I start walking towards my next projector. Like, all right, it's time to start the next movie. The projector right next to the the uh, the place where I was watching the the game, the volume was up slightly enough that I could hear the trailer that was playing, and it was Psycho. Now, that is crazy in of itself, mm-hmm. but it was in exact sync with what was on the television. That's crazy. Well, as they got to the title of Psycho and it had, plays the Psycho music. <laughs> It was exact sync. Like it was stereo coming out of that whole thing. Wow. I sit there and I think about the amount of things that have to happen for this <laughs> to be the coincidence that it is. <laughs> the, the the other team has to get a penalty at that exact moment. Yeah. I have to have the volume. You usually never have the volume up, your monitor volume upstairs for any reason. Uh, but that it was up just enough so that I could hear that at the same time. And you have to have started a movie that has that psycho trailer on it and that it's coming on at the same time. Synchronicity, man. I've always thought that's one of the coolest stories. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah. You've told me that one before. Yeah. I like it. It's almost impossible. You definitely couldn't engineer that to happen. No. If you wanted to. No, you couldn't try to make that happen. You could actually <laughs> even have an inside man on the other hockey team who's going to take a penalty at a specific moment and you've time to start the movie at the specific moment mm-hmm. you still couldn't get it yeah you would never be able to get it like that no no that's amazing yeah <laughs> so i don't know how great of intrigue that story is <laughs> but it's always like it's another one of those stories was did that actually happen <laughs> that that actually happened at the very least the psycho trailer was on at the time yeah. but i know for i know that it was like i was sit, I, I had to do a double take <laughs> so anyway um okay so if you go to regal cinemas to watch a movie you're probably familiar with these uh coke ads that run right before the the trailers Mm -hmm. where it's like you hear the tab opening Mm -hmm. and they got one with people in the theater talking about how much they're excited to see this movie well and now they have like three of them or they're they're all like disguised as other things or whatever (laughs) like one is like one is the straight up like ah coke go there get it um then there's the other ones though where it's like like people go into a theater or something like that and they're like you know enjoy the coke you know and all that and it's like oh isn't that sweet they're all having a good time at the movies together maybe we should also share a coke at the same time and do that yeah they there's like three of them now. now this is a very silly thing to me for a number of reasons first of all audience doesn't have a choice yeah, exactly. If they go buy a drink, it right now Regal has a contract with Coke, mm-hmm. and they only serve Coke products. Yep, can't get a Pepsi, can't mm-hmm. get a Mountain Dew, um, but it's written in stone. Uh, so why do you feel the need to advertise so much? The only reason you're doing it is for that what two percent of people who didn't get concessions earlier but an advertisement on a screen is going to get them to go oh yeah i do want something to drink and walk back out and buy something that's Mm -hmm. ultimately what it is and but that that's even stupider because because i've worked at a high enough level in the company i know for a fact coke pays regal 
to sell their drinks. Basically, they made this deal. Regal got a lot of money to only sell Coke products, to put those goddamn ads on, and to put up Coke signs all over the lobby. And then for every bib, a bag in a box that we bought from Coke, they reimbursed us. Mm -hmm. So you're not even making money from those sales. (laughs) (laughs) It's brand awareness. It's just, just, yeah, you're just hoping Coke stays with me all day long. Okay. Anyway, used to be Pepsi. Yep. Back in the 90s, when Chris and I worked at the theater, it was Pepsi. Yep. Um, And I remember when they changed over to Coke. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you were there. Uh, Yes, I was. But it was essentially two weeks of the most drill sergeant-y dictatorship from our boss about cleaning. Mm -hmm. Because for whatever reason, they decided to have this big event at Hollywood 27, where the CEOs and executives from Coke and the CEOs and executives from Regal were all going to show up. And they were going to watch, as as part of their visit, the new trailer. So they had a, like a new ad trailer thing mm-hmm. that had Coke products in it instead of Pepsi. And they yeah. were all going to go in there and watch it. So they were supposed to take a tour of the theater. Now, at the time, this was probably one of the flagships of Regal. It was certainly the biggest theater in the company. Um, still was making a lot of money at this point. And... <sighs> So we just had to bust our. I was I was either the first assistant or close to that at that point in time, and we just had to bust our ass clean so hard, <laughs> clean this, clean every single speck of dust. <laughs> That's exactly what I'm talking about with that Spider-Man three thing. Like the the, I don't understand the need. Yeah. To clean every single thing nobody gives a shit (laughs) does anybody give a shit nobody does but you want to justify your job by telling somebody to go clean that thing well and also i think the gm at the time she wanted to look good for her bosses and the coke bosses and put on a good show to the point where she had ordered a red carpet Oh, <laughs> and when they pulled up, we were going to go out there and literally roll out a red carpet. But there were some problems with the delivery of the red carpet. Uh-huh. The day of the event, I spent literally three hours scrambling to get a red carpet from somewhere because the one she had ordered hadn't shown up and she had to have that red carpet. Oh, my God. <laughs> Similar to what you're saying now or we're saying a second ago. Who fucking cares? Yeah. Is the Coke guy going to go to to the <laughs> Regal CEO? Hey, man, where's my red carpet? Exactly. <laughs> What's up with that? But she had to have well, I got it. I didn't get any kudos. I didn't make any extra money. I got the goddamn red carpet. We got the whole 27 auditorium theater sparkling like it was brand new. And these executives file in, walk immediately down to 15, watch a minute and a half trailer, and walk right the fuck back out and left. Oh, come on. That was literally it. That's oh what, my god. That's all that ever happens. That's all that ever happens. This is why this is why I I get re- I got really upset at people, at managers who would get into this whole we've got to clean every single speck of dust uh type of thing. Um as an aside and this will I guess this would count as another story or whatever, but I've got two more now because of this story. <laughs> but like as an aside, th- I remember I remember there being some regal people coming to our theater and like it was one of those all hands on deck type of things where everybody came out and cleaned a whole bunch of stuff and everything. And I told the manager at the time, I said, all right, I've cleaned this, 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 and this, uh, take a look around. Tell me if there's anything else that you need to be cleaned. I'm going to do some other stuff until you tell me that. And I know he's busy. Probably doesn't hear every single word that I say, but whatever. Um, 
it was a Thursday. It was a Wednesday when this ha- when this happened, and I think the inspection was on a Thursday. And uh, I was building a print uh, for the next day because I didn't want to have a huge amount of work to do just because of this inspection and everything. And uh, this manager comes comes from out of the darkness in the projection <laughs> booth, and he's like, "Chris, come over here right now." And I was like, "I was like, don't you." ever fucking yell at me like that <laughs> I, I, th- there's no fucking reason for that shit yeah. and you know i got to i got enough f-bombs in that he threatened to fire me that's oh a, shit you yeah. actually said that hell yeah dude oh nice <laughs> no, you got to remember you weren't there for any of it but i'm not lying when i say chris didn't give a fuck now, he said what he thought to customers and managers alike and somehow stayed employed for 20 plus years in the industry. No idea how either. I thought for sure a couple of times I was going to get fired for that type of stuff. Um, well, and, and and for me, it was always about this. I, I am understanding to a point. Mm. If you keep berating... What are you seeking here? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll give you what you want then. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there was no need for that. And he and it was all about some fucking CD tower that we don't even use anymore that was in between 20 and 21. Mm. That It was a, you know, like a thing that you put the CDs in and the music plays over the entire building and it's your intercom system. None of this shit ever used mm. at all. And it's, you know, obviously it's a collection farm for dust bunnies and everything <laughs> at this point. I didn't think about it. I, you walk past it without two thoughts yeah, about, yeah. about a fucking thing like that. And he wanted, he opened it up and he saw all the dust and he got, yeah, he wanted to yell at me about it. And I was like, you are not getting away with yelling at me. If this is the guy I think it was, that was just sort of his deal anyway. It was, it was his deal. And a lot of the people that worked with him before uh, were just shocked that I would do this because there was that's something you don't do with a guy like that. And I did not, you're right. I did not give a fuck. You want to fire me over this? Okay, fine. I will get another job. I'm at that point in the movie theater business where if you fired me, it's you do me a favor. <laughs> um, it's funny also that you bring up this and I don't know if this was the same trailer. Was this a regular Coke trailer? I think it was the Regal Policy trailer with Coke. With Hallie Kate Eisenberg? Oh, no, that was Pepsi. Was that a Pepsi one? That was a Pepsi one. Okay. Um, For the longest time, and they've gotten back to it, they've got an updated roller coaster thing Mm -hmm. for their, for the, for Regal. Um, and, and, and it, you know, nice, fun, fast, 30 seconds. You even saw people in the theater pretending like they were actually on roller coasters. Every fucking time. Every fucking time. And, um, and then they changed it to this Hallie Kate Eisenberg thing, which was like a minute and a half. And it Uh, went on interminably. Like she comes in, she's got, uh, it's real funny because she's got this like Jack Palance voice coming out of her while she's, (laughs) while she's talking and everything, you know, little bitty, like eight year old Hallie Kate Eisenberg. (laughs) And, uh, and it's just going through there she's going through saying like it's the wild west and she's in a saloon and she's telling all these people i don't want to hear any talking i don't want to hear any don't want to see any smoking actually though there was a whole big thing about the smoking the guy's like smoking a cigar (laughs) and she shoots the cigar (laughs) and everything so this is like a minute and a half it might be a minute but even even if it's a minute it just takes forever because it's just like all of this just to tell us to behave i mean you know what what is smoke and don't talk there was one day this is what i'm getting to there was one day because we had a sneak preview of this movie that this happened to uh and this policy trailer has to be on everything yeah 
sneak previews typically had nothing on them, like, you know, maybe a trailer, but you also have to put the policy trailer on. So uh, whatever the sneak preview was had the policy trailer on. And then all you had to do was add a preview pack to it to complete when it goes out, when it actually got out. Now, when people build preview packs, they'll often put a logo uh, on there as well. Yeah. So they built it with the logo and attached it to the existing print. So now you got two policy trailers. So I walked past that next day, walked pa- and 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 uh, I don't think we heard a complaint, which is weird, <laughs> but like I went I walked past it and I was just seeing if the lights would go down and the and the and like the lights went down and the trailer went through and I was like, "Okay, movie's about to start." And then the fucking same goddamn fucking <laughs> thing came on. And of course there's a there's another cue on it so the lights come back up. <laughs> and uh, and it's like it goes like it goes again. It's so awful. It's so bad. That's really annoying. Oh my god. Yeah, the next show. I was like, "All right, we're yanking that shit off." I don't remember the details, but I remember there was a print somebody put together that had the same trailer in it twice oh but yeah there yeah. were like two trailers in between it oh yeah i remember hearing complain about that the one time that it happened uh, as far as trailers are concerned when i was at williamson square and it almost because of the movie felt like it was on purpose was the naked gun 33 and a third <laughs> it's like a it's like a i can't remember it's him on a cliff or something and he falls down the cliff it's a real short trailer but it went back to back <laughs> <laughs> um but uh, do we have any more movie theater stories? I've got a few, but nothing major, and my heart is clear, and I'll save them for the next round. I think we have another main topic today, do we, we do? But Well, we got well I was going to get to that. I just wanted to make sure before I got to that next topic, nobody wanted to have anything else to say. I'm but. just impressed. Where did you find a red carpet? Oh, it was this, uh, basically, <laughs> it was a costume store down the road yeah, yeah. that had a red carpet as part of their, just their layout. Ah. Like you walk. I guess they wanted you to feel like you were in Hollywood or something, looking at all the costumes, and they just let me borrow it. Nice. Nice. <laughs> because, I mean, you have never seen Desperation <laughs> like what I gave that woman. Please, can I borrow this? I'll well, give you, you my ID. <laughs> you know what, though? You know, she ruled with such a such a beautiful iron hand she that, did. you know, that you just wanted to run into a wall for her. <laughs> yes to end your life that's the uh that's the man she was the perfect manager okay so now we're gonna do uh the movie club and we're gonna be going to the water you should join our club you and your friend now if you're not going to take this seriously perhaps we should disband the club now <laughs> <laughs> i love being a part of things yeah, oh, baby. baby, I hope you brought your trunks. Don't drink the water. <laughs> oh, that's like the, the most annoying song ever. Uh, that song so? turned me off, Dave Matthews. Man, I love that song. I do you like really? Song I love too. it. Yeah. You like it too? I do too. Yeah. I'm on an island? Yeah. Man, it's just... I think the, the majority of people probably don't like it. It's not song. melodic at all. No. I mean, if you like it, I think what you're liking is the mood it's trying to set. Yeah, it's an atypical Dave Matthews. Song. Yeah, 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 not a fan. Extremely dark. <laughs> not a fan. Dave, Dave Matthews, man. Anyway, we're going to be uh, going to the water yeah, with baby. our stuff here today. So who wants to kick us off? I'll kick us off with something super old. Kick it. All right. So we're going to do our same format of what we consider the best and our favorite underseen movies and underrated movies, mm-hmm. what we consider uh, from the three of us. And to start us off, I think we can all agree that the best movie about the water is Jaws. Mm-hmm. I think I would agree with that. Uh, it's it's terrific. It's got everything about summer. It's got everything about horror, comedy, drama, all that stuff all rolled into one. So we're just kind of saying, if you haven't seen that, 
what's wrong with you? Go watch that and then watch these other things later on. But my what I consider as one of the best and that's held up over time is 1956's Moby Dick. Mm. Oh. Um, and it's a, it's a weird thing because obviously the effects have been, you know, light years ahead of what it was back then. It was directed by John Huston. And the screenplay was actually written by, based on the Melville novel, but it was written by John Huston and Ray Bradbury. Oh, really? Oh, wow. And it's really, really great. It's it's a quick movie. It's it's still around like two hours, but it feels quick. It's really well paced. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got Gregory Peck as Captain Ahab wow. in this, and he is marvelous. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you think of, you know, everybody reads Moby Dick in high school or whatever, and you think of Ahab as this just gruntled, just kind of, you know, almost a, a cliche even at that point uh, when you're reading the book. But he, like, injects a lot of life into this character and a lot of, you know, his his escalating insanity about chasing after this whale. And it's really, really fucking good, man. Mm-hmm. Man, I have never seen this movie. It is, it is yeah, worth it. You know, here's the thing about movies like that is that there are so many adaptations that you never really know what's the definitive good one a yeah. lot of times. So, like... Yeah, I did. I, I this wasn't even on my radar. Mm-hmm. There's so many Moby Dick adaptations that you know it's like, well, which one do you start with? Yeah. They're all the same fucking shit. My so. wife yeah. watched uh, Captain's Courageous, a black and white version, uh-huh. which is also a water movie, mm-hmm. um, and fell in love with it. So I went to buy it for her online. I bought the wrong one. Oh, really? I'm like, who knew there were multiple <laughs> copies? She's like, this is the one I saw. Yeah, different ones. But this is if you're gonna watch Moby Dick, it is quintessential about the water. Matter of fact, at the beginning, uh, Ishmael. Uh, it says that famous quote, there's magic in the water that calls men uh, to the sea. And that's kind of how I've, I've, I've always been drawn to movies about boats and ships and water. And just because it's so vast, it's almost like space movies. To yeah. me. There's there's so much unknown shit out there that it's just super fascinating. And this is a great, great uh, representation of that Melville uh, novel. And it really, it really keeps you absorbed. And, the coda to it is Orson Welles is in this movie. Oh wow! And he plays this ostentatious preacher that uh, that you know proselytes to the the congregation before these guys go out on their whaling uh, ship mission. And oh god, he's got this wonderful monologue slash sermon that just you know, people who can act in a certain echelon, yeah, like Daniel Day Lewis, Orson Welles, Meryl Streep, yeah. you know that kind of thing, where you're just like. Wow, oh, man. I mean, it, it's just so compelling to watch. Wow. And Gregory to... Peck and Orson, Orson Welles alone are worth uh, watching this movie. That was some prime John Huston territory because mm-hmm. he did Treasure of the Sierra Madre, mm-hmm. which is another kind of, yeah, he was he was really good at that type of stuff. When you said his name, I was like, that's probably pretty good. <laughs> oh, and there's some shots in this thing that, I mean, it's it's claustrophobic. It's ship-based. It's a, an elevator episode or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. but- um, he shoots it in a way that that it's just it's brilliant. I mean, everything's framed really beautifully. Um, yeah, so definitely check it out. Hmm. All right, yeah. was that your best or your favorite? That was my best. All right. Well, you go next because we both listed some of the same ones. I'll let you pick first. Okay. Um, I'm gonna go with the Hunt for Red October. Oh nice. yeah. Um, I don't know where this movie sits with a lot of people nowadays. Is it something that people like, you know, there's probably not very many people under the age of 20 or 30 even that maybe hold this in. You're probably right. Yeah. Hold this movie in high esteem. I guess the the Clancy verse is kind of an outdated type of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, The whole, you know, 
despite what's going on in the country right now and everything, the U.S. versus the Russians is still uh, that was a huge prominent thing in the 80s and early 90s. Was oh, that was that whole was that whole thing? Uh, but the hunt for October does does a great. I mean, it's such a great. I mean, it Alec Baldwin going through here and despite all odds, but it feels like his his journey is like a tr- is true. Like there's not any like stupid luck or something he does have some luck obviously Mm -hmm. but it doesn't feel like it's unearned Mm -hmm. by the time he does it and he's he knows that this submarine is not coming here to attack the united states and everybody else who's height you know who's real heightened about it and everything is like doesn't matter he's gonna he's gonna have to we have to blow this thing out of the water and all that and his whole thing is just like i have to get on this closest sub yeah. to tell these guys not to do it and i have to convince them of this crazy story and the, just so many great uh you know actors in this alec baldwin who was the best jack ryan yeah he, absolutely uh, oh easily yeah. um unfortunately didn't i mean i thought harrison ford was okay yeah. it just didn't make it didn't make sense tra- to translate him from alec baldwin um but sean connery uh yep. and you know sam neal before a lot of us really knew who he was yep. um and uh and and a, and a little a surprise tim curry performance in there yeah. too. but it's i love surprise tim curry exactly. <laughs> he's the best tim curry but it's so tense the entire time i the scene the scene where baldwin goes and talks to jeffrey jones and jones tells him about this submarine and you get this whole kind of like back this is exposition where it's great mm-hmm. like it's not just like somebody in a boardroom somewhere going all right see this yeah. see this submarine here it can uh, it has a caterpillar system and uh, and you can't be heard all right any questions yeah you know the, the jeffrey jones scene is very tense uh and you know because he's sitting there relating this to you know the you know the the cuba missile crisis right and uh and everything and it's like oh okay so we are really dealing with a 50 50 type thing here he ramius is taking this boat because it has the power it, and it has the power to attack the United States. If well, it does. And that's what I was going to say is the like the all the government military people that want to blow it up aren't wrong. Right. Right. There's that scene where they say, would you classify this as a first strike weapon? Uh, and it is. And Ramius even says later, my own plans for defection began the day that I saw the plans for this ship. Right. Which built with one purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, they're not they wouldn't be wrong if they shot him down. That's exactly why Russia built that sub. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if. If Ryan's wrong, he's not actually defecting. Yeah. We're we're dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he has to convince all these people, and it gets to the point too, where at the most desperate moment, he's talking to Scott Glenn, and he's like going around the ship, telling him in this very like you know heart heart full of heart way and everything. And um and there's a point where Scott Glenn's like it's like uh bring this guy up to the to the uh, captain's deck with his firearm yeah, and yeah. the guy's like snaps his fingers <laughs> and, you know and everything and it and 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 finally he has to have that crazy luck with the crazy ivan and yeah. all the other type of stuff to mm-hmm. get and everything and it's the one of the funniest parts of the movie yeah. too where, where he explains how'd you know he's gonna turn starboard <laughs> this time he's like i didn't I had a 50 50 chance yeah. and he'd only break. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah it's uh it's a really tense submarine movie and i think it's I think it's a great movie, but I don't quite hear people talking about it today in those same kind of terms. I don't know why that is. Maybe it feels outdated in some way. 
Um, but, I don't know. but it's an extremely tense and, and like surprisingly funny at times. Yeah. You know, it's smart. It's very smart. Yeah. Um, and it's, in my opinion, the best submarine movie ever made. I was going to ask that, right? I mean, what, what is the competition is Das Boat and U571. Crimson Tide. There's some older ones, too, mm-hmm. that I think get, get in there. But, um, but yeah, like Das Boat. Mm-hmm. And, uh, What's that one with Harrison Ford and Liam Neeson? Oh, the wid- Widowmaker, yeah. Oh, K-9. Yeah, K-9 is Widowmaker. K-19. K-19. Uh, K-9. K-9 is Jim Yeah, exactly. It's a dog submarine. Yeah, there was a... There was a there was like a, a strange after crimson tide there was like yeah u571 tried to come out yeah. and then uh widowmaker and none of those were any, uh, um but uh yeah um i think if you're if you're gonna watch something that's just i mean just about a hundred percent excellent all the way through yeah. it mm-hmm. this is john mctiernan again i mean yeah. there's a fucking die hard and hunt for october like right back to back the yeah. guy was on a different level man. yeah was he good. really was and then he went to jail i mentioned that every time we bring his name up <laughs> i'm such a dick i'm sorry john you're out now i think so yep <laughs> i'm sure he's an avid listener to the that, show. he is he definitely is we we love him except for his tax evasion or whatever the fuck yeah, it whatever is. it wasn't like, it wasn't like a violent crime I right um so i'm gonna go with uh finding nemo oh, a nice movie one. that i have frequently called perfect uh i'm gonna tell you what happened with this movie and it does it does make me sad chris every time that you talk about the golden years of pixar with that run that ends with Up, mm-hmm. that we don't start with Finding Nemo, we start with The Incredibles, because I think Finding Nemo is part of that run. Mm-hmm. Uh, but <clears throat> there was a period in my life where my wife and I had just gotten married, and we didn't have enough money to get cable. And so what I found myself doing was, because there's like six channels I can get over the air, and they mm-hmm. all suck, and they're all showing news. Um, so I just, I, for about eight to 12 months, I would just pop in movies and I didn't own a ton of movies at this point either. Mm. Um, and so I ended up rewatching a lot of movies over and over. And, f- and f- this is how I fell in love with The Dark Knight. This is how I fell in love with Finding Nemo. Um, and right after that opening scene, when he's just got Nemo and he's like, there, there, daddy's got you. And it pans up and this music swells to that. Ah, goosebumps right here. Just talking about it. <laughs> Um, the, I feel like it's a movie that has a little bit of everything. It's got adventure. It's got comedy. It's kind of a road movie. Um, all as usual, all the voice actors in this Pixar movie are fantastic. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think the music is elevated here. Mm-hmm. And this is before Giacchino came on and started doing most of the Pixar stuff. He does The Incredibles, which is also an awesome score, but... Something about this music that not only gives me goosebumps, it just sets me at ease. Like, I feel very in the womb when I watch this movie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, makes well. any sense. Well, yeah, um, Newman sort of does what he does in Shawshank in this movie. Yeah. He's, got, he's even got one that sounds exactly like when yeah. Andy is going out. You know, like a lot of the Shawshank Redemption stuff seems. But yeah, it, the Thomas Newman score is really good. Yeah. It, it gets you sort of into that. that Absolutely. Feel. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I just adore it. I could watch it anytime i feel like all the characters have a moment to really make me laugh Mm -hmm. all of them do great voice cast great voice huge voice cast because we forget about how many different fish he meets along the way (laughs) that have famous uh voices but uh and i quote this movie constantly uh if, if i hear my wife say something with the word father i quote you know, I never knew my father. <laughs> um, I just, I, I just love it. It's, I, I, I get that 
I'm on a different level of love than most people. Most people think it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, you know, it's probably one of my 20 favorite movies to watch. Uh, just really gives me the cuddles. You probably nice. should include that in the run with Incredibles and Wally and Up and Ratatouille and all that. Only reason I've never put it in that same thing is I've always felt like with the Incredibles is where they started to get to the point where I thought they're doing a new level type of thing. Yeah. Whereas Nemo still felt like the part of that Toy Story Monsters yeah. Inc. era, even I can though. See that. Uh, but it really is right there in line with all of those movies, yeah. though. I mean, you can't really go wrong starting with Nemo in that whole. In that Such whole. Such a great stretch, man. There was a time. There was a time where I didn't believe Pixar would ever make a bad movie. Yeah. <laughs> now we just send Cars too, and I know how wrong I was. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's a money cash grab for Disney. My cousin said to me last night on DM on Twitter, he was he's got a little girl. He's like, because of your video, I asked my daughter if she wanted to watch Cars too. No interest. It's the first animated movie she's ever said no to. And I was like, well, you're lucky that you didn't have to sit through that. Your daughter's a very smart child. Oh, yeah. All right. My favorite pick is, I think, probably the only good Pirates movie. And Mm -hmm. I don't mean of Pirates of the Caribbean. Any Pirates Mm -hmm. movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's The Curse of the Black Pearl. Yeah. Uh, I was, this was 2003. Yep. And so this came out in the summer, and I had just started dating my wife. And I said, hey, we're going to go see a Pirates movie today. And I was very excited. Loved Johnny Depp. This was really his first big, huge movie. And nobody even knew what to expect at this point. Now Depp has become kind of a parody of himself. But, you know, before that, it was all the indie stuff and the Tim Burton stuff and everything. And I was super excited about it. I love, as I said, I love ship movies and ocean movies. I'd never seen a good Pirates movie. I was like, this has a possibility. She didn't want to go. And I was like, come on. Mm-hmm. we could do- No, I hate your taste in movies. No, come on. And we went and saw it and had a blast. Oh. It was so much fun. Nobody really had high expectations for this movie, except maybe the studio. It was based off of a ride at Disney World. <laughs> it's starring, you know, at this point, no names, Kieran Knightley and Orlando Bloom. Johnny Depp is weird and whatever. But I knew there was going to be something in that. And, and that is the only one that's delivered. The sequels have been just garbage mm-hmm. yeah uh but this one really it, it was its own story and that was that was enough for me yeah and i mean they've really really lost their way mm-hmm. uh because there's such a drop off it's one of the only franchises that i like one of the movies so much more than i dislike the, like you know what i mean yeah, like yeah, it's yeah. it's very entertaining yeah. i went to that movie with my wife as well before we were married um and uh yeah i think everybody can have a good time there it's a little mm. something for everyone and then they just got all the wrong ideas about what we liked. Yeah. And have just lost their way completely. Well, well, we had talked about the fact that Johnny Depp's character, Jack Sparrow, wasn't the main character was the best or one of the best parts of the movie, right? right? Because he's allowed to run free on the edges, the periphery of the story and be weird and everything, but not have that weirdness be the focus of the story. Yeah. And yeah. Then he's been front and center ever since. Yep. Well, and, and you know, I'm. I guess I don't blame Disney for doing that. That is mm. the that is the the cash cow that is in that in, in that uh, series and everything. But as far as what they did to the movies, it hurt them so completely. Mm. Um, I remember when I I remember watching uh, Curse of the Black Pearl 
and officially being on board with it when he when Keir Knightley's on on Barbosa's boat and then that Hans Zimmer thing comes up, doom 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 doom, and it's all skeletons and yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. and like on the boat, and I was like, yes, <laughs> this is exactly what I wanted. And uh, and yeah, you're right. Johnny Depp is great in it as long as he's the side character mm-hmm. and that he's whatever. But then yeah, after that, like they have a whole fucking segment in the third one of just nothing but Jack Sparrows all over the place. Oh my God. And, uh, and it's, and it's obviously inspired by the toy line that they're selling. Yeah. And everything. yeah. So, uh, yeah, that first one is really good. It, and it did introduce what I would say is an iconic score too. Oh, that scores. Man, I love that stuff. If you can give me, that was very unique at the time. It was lightning in the bottle. They got everybody just right at the right time. And I think it still holds up. Even well, though the you need to watch. So no, you don't. I'm just saying. Compare that sword fight he has with Orlando Bloom in the beginning of the movie, mm-hmm. where there's that donkey walking around that contraption, mm-hmm. and they have to go up onto the rafters. Compare that to like the sword fight he has with Penelope Cruz <laughs> in the fourth <laughs> one. <laughs> there's just no creativity and cleverness and comedy written into this anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just a uh, show. It's just going through the motions. That fight with Orlando Bloom in the first one is fun, man. Yeah. It's almost a comedy routine. It yep. even ends with that stupid, like, you're the only person who knows that move or something like <laughs> uh, that. The Penelope Cruz it's like one. A, it's like a, just a, a little rotation of some sort. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No and, one's ever done that before? Yeah. <laughs> that is crazy um but uh i guess on my favorite i i now i've listed a quite a few submarine movies uh but uh i, I listed crimson tide but since we've already talked about like submarine movies mm-hmm. i want to go to another one that could actually be best for some and for some uh very underwhelming for others apocalypse now oh interesting um now I've watched Apocalypse Now a bunch, and we've discussed it before. And mm-hmm. yes, we still don't know entirely what that movie's about. Mm-hmm. But leading up to all the stuff that we don't really know about in that movie and everything is a great uh, like story with Martin Sheen, where he's learning about this guy, and yep. it's all on this water, and it's dangerous fucking water. Yes, too. it is. And uh, and uh, we've got a lot of you know, there's a lot of these type of movies where like you know guys are on a boat and they're like you know there's like you know you've got Native Americans shooting stuff at them mm. or they're in a war or there's like a crocodile or some shit. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> what about the Native American crocodiles? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the dogs that be- shoot bees at you. Um, but uh, but like there's that whole lead up to all of that all that stuff is great. I, I actually like the whole movie even though I don't understand every single. Oh, I agree. I love last that movie. bit of it or anything it's just uh him him reading about kurtz during this whole thing is is just fascinating because Mm -hmm. yeah you do like him wonder how somebody so decorated could just fall to the madness of the war and everything and it's just uh so so yeah uh, for for the longest time this movie is a water movie yeah it is you know so what's funny you mentioned uh surprised him curry surprised dennis hopper yeah in apocalypse That's now right. is awesome oh he's great he's bonkers <laughs> even for dennis hopper and he's yeah bonkers. and he and he like i mean i don't 
I think I've heard a story that he was definitely on something yeah, when he did. Like yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, because he his performance is so manic, yeah. man. It's just like you know going through all this stuff. You don't know what kind of genius you're dealing with, you know that type of. Thing. Um, but uh, yeah, um, really love it. it. Like I said, it could go under best. It could go under some people's worst. Yeah, there's a lot of things that are gonna. I will I will call it a favorite just because it's something that has really wrapped me up. Before. That's awesome. There was I did catch the Seinfeld parody of it recently. Yeah, where she goes to <laughs> to Peterman. get the yeah Jay Peterman has to approve her mink hat that yeah. she bought for George. Sable. And there's, there's this kid in the the side and he's like Magala Magala Magala. Yeah, and she's like, what did you say to him? He's like, oh, it's nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> that was gibberish. That was gibberish. Um, yeah, he even quotes that grocery clerk line from. Right? Isn't there a grocery clerk line in Apocalypse Now? Th- yeah, there is. You're an errand boy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something, something. <laughs> yeah. He, Peterman quotes that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think if we did this in five years, the rate my life is going, for my favorite, I would answer Moana. Ah. Because the music of that movie is so fucking good. It is. It makes me believe the movie is even better than it is. Mm-hmm. I think the movie's good. I really enjoyed it. The songs, I'll watch that movie. Just I want to go back to that music. Um, But it's too new. And so I'm going to go with, uh, amusingly enough, a surprise Dennis Hopper. (laughs) Waterworld. (laughs) The worst movie anyone on this podcast will ever call their favorite anything. And you could. uh, So here's the funny part. You put it on your favorite. I have noticed that you did not put it under the underrated. No, because I don't think it's underrated. <laughs> it, is, it is correctly it rated. Is appropriately rated as a piece of shit. <laughs> I cannot endorse this as a good movie, but I think it's fun as hell. Uh, I think I told a story on the podcast. I went to see this opening night with a big group of friends in college, and we had read about what a disaster this production was. Um course he fires kevin reynolds and basically costner finishes the movie himself um and so we were prepped we were prepped for terrible and boy did it deliver and i feel like i feel like most of the people in that movie know exactly what's going on costner's really the only one <laughs> that, that may be taking it completely seriously <laughs> hopper's certainly not taking no, this movie no, seriously no. he's at super mario brothers level and this of is a right ridiculous now. movie right the polar ice caps have melted in the future and flooded and now all the world is water yeah. and that has logically transformed dirt into the most expensive commodity yeah. buy shit with dirt or paper, because nobody has any paper. Um, I love that guy. I like that rod. That's a good rod. <laughs> How much for a half an hour with a woman? How much for the wee one? Um, he's just creepy. Um, everything about this movie is bonkers. Costner pees in a thing early in the movie and turns it into drinking water. Yep. Uh, Hopper's uh, villainous bad guy and his henchmen are on board the Exxon Valdez. Yep. <laughs> and he even pays tribute to the captain at one point. Um, uh, they're looking for dry land, basically. There's a rumor that there's dry land. It's not a myth. I've yeah. seen it. There's a little girl with a tattoo. Because yep. sometime in the past seven years, somebody saw dry land and thought, 
you know what I really need to do is tattoo this on a toddler. <laughs> right? I mean, I realize you don't have paper. But yeah, come, here, come here. Just there are still. better ways to, to make a map than to yeah. use a little girl's skin who is probably too young to consent. Later the model for prison break. <laughs> um, it's just, it's so much fucking fun um, in being bad mm-hmm. and... I almost think the movie works better because Costner doesn't seem to realize how bad it is. Mm-hmm. If he was if he was camping it up with everybody else, I don't know if I could take it. I don't I, know if he could camp it up. I don't know if he could either, but that's stoic. Like, he basically never smiles. <laughs> yeah. A very bad Santa relationship between him and the little girl. <laughs> they grow to appreciate each other, and he saves her life. Um, I am a sucker for a good high-concept premise, mm. and... Uh, Movie doesn't even have to deliver. I will often enjoy it. Like In Time with Justin Timberlake. I have a really good time watching that movie. Uh, and it's just not good. No, it's not. I just like the idea so much. Yeah. I'm willing to let it play in my head. Uh, anyway, so there you go. Waterworld. Don't watch it if you want a good movie. <laughs> but if you want if you want bonkers, bad movie, go watch that. Yeah. He, Jeremy has said this is his favorite. He doesn't say <laughs> you must go out it's and watch this. Rated. That's right. 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 Is that the? It had the Universal logo just flooded out. It was a very cool right? effect. Yeah, like, yeah. like sometimes that can be gimmicky, and sometimes I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked that one. Uh, of course, at that point, I didn't realize. I mean, I thought the movie's going to be bad, but it opens with that Universal logo, and yeah, then you see the flooding of the yeah. polar ice. But then there's, I think, some narration explaining everything. Yeah. yeah. I do like it like uh, The Matrix with Warner Brothers did a nice one with it. Yeah, they turn. I like it, it when they do Harry Potter and that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I just think sometimes they go a little overboard. I can't think of a good example off the top of my uh, head. The Illumination stuff with all the minions. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe. Man, <laughs> fuck those guys. <laughs> okay, so uh, for my underseen, and I, I don't know if anybody less than 30 has even seen this movie or even heard of this movie it's white squall oh yeah oh. i saw this in the theater oh really so this was 96 who's in this isn't like ethan hawk this or is uh, this? Uh, this is uh god uh balthazar getty's in it oh wow um yeah so it's jeff bridges scott wolf mm-hmm. jeremy scott wolf, sisto and uh the other one ryan Phillippe. Yeah, yeah. Ah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I went to see this, uh, I think, with my dad at the time. And again, boat, sea, like a bunch of teenagers, I'm on board um, because I was a teenager at the time. Yeah, sure. And it's it's like a like a prep boot camp for these kids to to learn about like you know seafaring and sailing and things like that. It's basically like a like a boarding school over the summer. And so you know, it's really got. A great dynamic between Jeff Bridges, the captain, and trying to whip these boys into shape. And then after a while, they run into this storm called the White Squall. It's so dangerous that they have to put this, you know, into into action all their training. Now, it's not breaking any new ground. It's not, you know, a terrific movie or anything like that. But I do think it's underseen. And I think when it comes to terms with like, I'm not comparing it to Dead Poet Society, but that kind of demographic um, coming together as boys, um, as, as your own kind of unit, I think it's a lot of fun. And uh, it's got some drama to it. It's got some gravitas to it. It's got a lot of humor. Um, and Jeff Bridges, man, holds that sucker down. It, it's a really good performance. He has one of the biggest roll credits moments ever in that movie. Because <laughs> a, a white squall is coming towards him, and he and the camera is like up in his face. <laughs> White squall. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very much. Very much. 
Uh, uh, it's good though. You should you should check it out if it's it's a good like you know Saturday Sunday afternoon movie. And it's been for, it's been since I saw it in the theater. I've, mm. I have never actually heard anybody be super complimentary of the movie before, but uh, on the IMDb it's got a six point six, so it's definitely got some following. Yeah, to it's it. fun. Uh, I am gonna go with Dead Calm. Oh yeah, boy, we overlapped a lot this week. Oh yeah, we yeah. listed like four of the same movies on this. Thing. I didn't even see that you wrote that one down. Yep, is Roten. this the mystery thriller? Yes, this is okay. So this was 1989. Philip Noyce, who would la- later Noyce. go on, yeah, Noyce, <laughs> <laughs> uh, who would later do Patriot Games uh-huh. and The Clear and Present Danger, and um, he also did. Um, uh, rabbit proof fence and uh, the quiet american he's done oh, yeah, a yeah. lot of movies um but uh but dead calm is just a perfect thriller type you know it's a perfect thriller these this couple nicole kidman and sam neil are on this uh on this like boat and they run across this uh sort of this guy who we think we think his ship's about to sink or whatever yeah. and it's billy zane weird billy zane casting by the way um, isn't every billy zane casting weird kind of, except for zoolander kind of yeah um so they go and they and they basically save this guy but of course he is you know not a nice person and mm-hmm. everything um and so a lot of a lot of this you know involves like them trying to go back and forth between boats and stuff like that and everything but it's really tight yeah. night really well done thriller and this is like Nicole Kidman back in her like redhead freckle days mm-hmm. and everything too, before she became like, you know, this, this model of, yeah. you know, whatever of looks and everything. I love this Nicole Kidman. It's like this, <laughs> this like down to earth before Tom Cruise came along, Nicole Kidman, <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, it's really good. Really well done thriller. Like if you got a movie that's super tense and everything again, like you can watch, I mean, they're not the same in any way, but dead calm and hunt for an October you're on the edge of your seat yeah absolutely uh, are they out on the water the whole time mm-hmm. ah i've seen this a long time ago i remember really liking it yeah there's a lot of like uh just cool little things in there where they you know want that person's over there but i'm over here and now i have to you know that type of thing yeah so. nice little thriller good one yep good one um did you leave all is lost for me yes oh all is lost is my underseen ah. remember were you watching this on a plane on a plane i still um, haven't seen it it's so good you've yeah, seen it, it oh i love it uh there's almost no dialogue in this movie yeah it's robert redford on a boat the boat has issues <laughs> and it turns into a survival thing um and you i love when movies do this in small patches where you give me silent dialogue free thing where a character's figuring something out mm-hmm. and he has like five or six different hurdles maybe more to overcome throughout the movie and you basically are just watching him think Mm -hmm. about how to solve this problem and when he does what he does it makes perfect sense because the movie has allowed you to follow the same thought process through the way they show you everything um i had i watched it because i had simply read this movie is great Mm -hmm. and then when i watched it i was like well that's better than great that's yeah. fucking awesome like and it's just a small enough thing and the premise is it reminds me a lot of Locke, where mm-hmm. you're gonna spend an hour and a half with tom hardy in a car making phone calls and people are like yeah. right? so robert redford out on the water not talking trying to survive <laughs> no it's fucking riveting uh all the way through and uh definitely underseen for sure i don't think it made a bunch of money i think it might have got yeah. a couple nominations at some award show but you go out and throw a rock you're not going to hit anybody no. that's seen this movie. He's so smart in this movie. He is. He and, is. And I mean, I guess he's like a, 
like a very wealthy guy. Yeah. And you could see by like his watch and, and the way that he does stuff, but also like a very accomplished seaman. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no secrets between sailors, Barrett. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, like he, you can tell that he can handle his shit, even though he's old. Yeah. And he acts old. Yeah. I mean, he does all of his own shit in this. Yeah, I he think. does. Um, and nothing is out of the realm. Nothing turns him into a superhero like Vin Diesel and, you know, Fast the Fury or the later diehards or anything like that. Right. It makes sense. Everything that he does are within his capabilities. And like you said, you follow along with that logic progress. Yeah. And it's cool to follow a smart person. It is. I, I really, really recommend it. And uh, definitely underseen. Mm-hmm. Good pick. I like that a lot. Not underrated. I couldn't put it there because it got good reviews. <laughs> it definitely right? got so good this reviews. This is how we're breaking down our category. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure I clarify. Yeah. All right. Hit me. I'm trying to figure out which way I'm going to go here. Uh, I'll get laughed out of the room. Captain Ron. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't seen this. Although I have you and... Some other person that we both know have both told me about Captain Ron, <laughs> and I had no, I still haven't seen it yet. Captain Ron has a twenty-four percent rating on. I Rotten guarantee Tomatoes. you, I will hate this. Movie. <laughs> oh, you will hate it so hard. <laughs> it is. I believe it's nineteen ninety somewhere around ninety-two somewhere 92. around there. Um, listen, it's not great, but it's Martin Short as the funny straight man, which I dig. I, I like when that whole cohort of steve martin martin short and uh chevy chase can play like the funny straight man um and because it, it allows kurt russell who's captain ron to run amok and be just crazy it's kind of a role reversal you think is kurt russell is like the leading straight man and martin short being the bonkers yeah. guy uh but he's great man like he's this heavily traveled you know captain and and uh martin short buys this crazy or rents this vessel and they've got to get from one place to another and they need to hire a captain. And so they bring in this very inappropriate, ostentatious Captain Ron, uh, who's Kurt Russell. And it's fun. It is a fun movie. It's funny. Uh, It is very screwball early 90s, but it's also it's better than 24% on Rotten Tomatoes. Mm, Maybe by like 2%. No, I'd say I'd give it a solid... 48%. Forty-eight <laughs> percent. Well, okay, that's more generous than I would give it. <laughs> Which, under, of course, it's an aggregate, but I would say I like this movie forty-eight percent. All, right. All um, right. On my underrated, I'm going to pick Lake Placid. Oh All man, right. I fucking love this movie. I do too. And, and and to be honest, I haven't seen it since the theater. Oh, but <laughs> I had a blast watching Lake Placid. Oh yeah, how could um, you not? It it's it's so funny. I don't believe this movie ever takes itself seriously nope. once. Uh, and um, this is another one of those rare Bill Pullman like out of nowhere <laughs> type of movies. You got Bridget Fonda in this. The uh, and uh, there's a great turn from Betty White. In yes. this. Oh yeah, like like yeah, she's doing the foul mouth grandma bit, which we all know and everything. There's something about Betty White, though, doing it that's just different. And and it's just it's better for whatever reason. But she, I just re- remember her just coming out and just saying some of the most filthiest stuff. And I'm like, wow, Betty White. Like, I didn't know that you had that in you, you know? <laughs> well, but she yeah. was always set up. I mean, we were we grew up around the Golden Girls mm-hmm. era of Betty White. And I don't know. I didn't watch Mary Tyler Moore show all that much. So I don't know if she was a little bit more risque in those days, but mm-hmm. uh, you know, she was always set up as this kind of vacuous prude in golden girls. Mm-hmm. And so to have her make this turn makes it 
earn it more. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, this is a, a giant crocodile movie. Mm-hmm. That's all it is from uh, David E. Kelly. Yeah, oh, did he write this? Yeah, David E. Kelly wrote oh, this. Oh, oh, oh yeah, he awesome. wrote this. And, but, and it was directed by Steve Miner, who did a lot of these stupid-ass horror movies back in the day. He did, uh, I think he did, uh, was it Halloween H2O? Yeah, he did that. He did Halloween H2O the year before this. Wow. And um, and he, he's done a few other uh, stupid things. But anyway, uh, this one was just fun. And yeah. it may, also makes you kind of wonder if... Maybe it was it the Kelly script. Did 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 Miner really know that this was like supposed to be campy? I mean, it, or is it the perfect match for him, or or whatever? But the but, back and forth between Brendan Gleeson and Oliver Platt steals the whole movie for me because mm-hmm. Oliver Platt is this rich uh, crocodile hunter. Basically, he wants to swim and lock eyes with this monster. Yeah. He doesn't want to hurt it, <laughs> and you can't really stop him. Uh, and then Brendan Gleeson's like the local sheriff who's trying to keep peace and order, but he's basically bad Santa. He's gruff and angry all the time. <laughs> and they just constantly butt heads. Uh, and that's what makes that movie sing for me, mm-hmm. I think. And There's- of course, that line at the end, we trapped it with our chopper. <laughs> <laughs> that, was a, that was a thing, too, though. Like, there's a point where this thing fucking grabs a helicopter yeah. <laughs> out of midair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the, well, it's kind of, you know, like Jaws, uh, was it Jaws 2 that did that? Where they, it wasn't, the shark came out of the water? Or was yeah. it Jaws 3? I can't it, remember it, which one. It, one of those middle yeah, yeah, terrible yeah. jaws did that, um, where the shark came out and got the helicopter. <laughs> the guy comes by in the helicopter. Hey, you need some, you need some saving out there. I might need to get you some help in the fucking shark. <laughs> yeah. Man, if you can get camp right, it's it's a lot of fun. I remember when the first Sharknado came out uh, on Sci-Fi. I guess like it was this Twitter storm mm-hmm. of just people like genuinely watching this and enjoying the camp and yeah. enjoying the crazy. And of course they took it seriously and now they're making it progressively more campy. But if you've got too much awareness in camp, I think you were saying this last mm-hmm. episode, it there's, there's a ratio of like serious to not taking yourself seriously because you have to make it believable, but also ludicrous. I've always said that the, uh, the formula for making a movie like that is, you write something that in your heart is the most serious, most, you know, it's the most sincere type of thing in the world. And you have no idea that it is ridiculous. Mm. And then you go out and film that script, not knowing that it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. So everything's played seriously, even though like the dialogue and the action is, is usually just pretty ridiculous. I think in Lake Placid, there's enough in here to say that they kind of went for this Mm -hmm. Uh, and succeeded, but it's it it's still you know you still gotta wonder is there was there some sort of seriousness here yeah, yeah. and it's still and and you know and and that's what we got or whatever I don't know but they I, overall I I think this is just a, I mean it's an hour and twenty minutes long you can watch this no problem oh yeah it's uh get in get out have a good time this that might have been the sh- one of the shortest movies I've ever seen like on a movie platter before oh yeah one of the shortest along with like Walking Tall which was like a basically four reel movie with five with a fifth reel of credits <laughs> and uh the and a goofy movie which I think was like seventy something minutes long they made a few more of them though Lake Placid's Oh yeah, with I don't think any of the same actors, mm. but I, I think there's two or three, maybe even more, straight to like DVD or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. 
didn't didn't get it right the second time out. <laughs> yep. Didn't get all the elements in place. All right. So my underrated, I'm going to go with The Perfect Storm. Yeah. Oh, which so is great. 47% on Rotten Tomatoes. Why is that? I'm I don't know because now when the when the film came out and played in the theater, the water effects were fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a huge leap forward in what kind of ability they were able to have I fell off there um but i don't think they aged very well mm-hmm. as i think water effects improved leaps and bounds mm-hmm. even beyond that so i've always felt like i don't i've never had any conversations about this but i've always felt like people look down on what is now aged cgi on the water um i find it really compelling uh, i don't love it mm-hmm. i have i don't watch it frequently but you know we got Clooney, marky mark and john c Riley. yep mm-hmm. um and they're all great actors, mm-hmm. and they are what sells it. Uh, and then, of course, you've got this perfect storm where two cells come together in such a way that basically they're all going to die, but <laughs> they're not because it's – anyway, I don't want to ruin the movie for you. My point is it's way better than 47%. I put it up in the mid-60s, maybe yeah, low 70s. I, it's got a, a great story. I mean, it, it, everything based makes sense. based on a sense. true story. Yeah, exactly. Everything makes sense. He wants to push the the boat to go out further so that they can get this haul of fish. And when they finally get to that hotbed of fish and they're just pulling it in, they can't get the nets in fast enough Mm -hmm. and everything. You see all the joy. There's all these like kind of, you know, nitpicks at each other throughout the whole journey. And then everybody comes together and smiling. You know what? That is very accurate, too. If you've ever watched Deadliest Catch. Oh, yeah. Have you ever seen that show? No, I never watched it. Okay, so the first few seasons I watched it regularly, and now I just catch a few episodes every... They're on, like, season 28 or some bullshit. (laughs) Um, But every episode is like that. There'll be a ship where everybody's fighting, and everybody's pissed, and they're tired and cranky, but as soon as they get a big pot of crab, they're all, like, high-fiving and singing, and (laughs) woo And I think the camaraderie is genuine. Yeah. but uh, I forgot about that from that movie. That's that's true to life, I think. And and that's that sets up the whole rationale for trying to outrun the storm or go through the middle of it yeah. because they've got all this ice and if you know they've come all this way and if they don't go straight through, all of it's going to go to waste. Yep, so right. it makes sense. Is this is this uh, and that's I saw this movie back back in the day, but I don't remember. Was there a lot of sort of financial troubles that they sort of go over in the beginning that drove them to do all the stuff that they do in this movie or or was this just a re- is this portrayed as a regular uh, you know no i think it's portrayed as like their last best chance yeah, yeah. and that they're on hard times this is a, a fishing village that i think is on the downturn economically mm-hmm. um and so but, but basically the point is if they don't bring in a big load of fish um uh, then they're probably going to lose their boat or something like that. Yeah, right. because it's been overfished. Yeah, they're, the area that they're normally going to, and everybody's fallen on hard times. And Clooney has Clooney's character has heard about this spot, and they didn't even really think that they were going to. But so they go to their their normal route and everything, and they just they're just not getting it. Mm-hmm. And they were like, "Well, we're out here. Um, all right, there's a weather thing that's way off in the distance." I think we can make this run. And there's like a moment of decision where they're just like, fuck it, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that seals their fate. Yeah. But uh, I agree, man. I Mark Wahlberg is really, really good in this. Yeah. I think Clooney is terrific in this. Yeah. Um, every, everything works for me. I, I don't know why this is so. Yeah, I don't either. I don't. I guess uh, I need to watch it. I haven't seen it in probably six or seven years, mm-hmm. but I need to watch it again and see if I can figure it out. 
Um, wanted to mention a few others, and, and and these aren't necessarily on any particular list that I would put, but I wrote these down just in case we wanted to sort of throw them out there or whatever. But uh, uh, Ponyo, I put in my best list. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ponyo is a just magic Studio Ghibli movie. Um, Hayao Miyazaki, who's a legend. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so Ponyo is in there. I also put in the underrated, even though I'm not sure... It may be properly rated. Deep Blue Sea um, uh, is uh, is a movie that I, you know I'll never forget. Laughing at that Samuel L. Jackson uh, yeah. scene, so great! It's such a great scene. Uh, I'm wanted to mention uh, Deliverance, yeah, which was is I mean that's good. It's a classic, but man, that's a tough movie to get through. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's it's terrifying. It's also yeah, it's just I I I, I guess from being from the south and everything Mm -hmm. i get sort of defensive about this like every time somebody comes down to the south you've got these rednecks who want to do shit to you and everything and i guess that's a a common story has that not been your experience in nashville (laughs) (laughs) i've always lived here i am that guy (laughs) um but uh, Deliverance is probably going to make some people's list out in the world. The River Wild is oh, one. Oh, yeah. That was on TV yesterday. Yeah. they IFC plays it a bunch. Oh, uh, do they really? Yeah. I don't know if it was on IFC this I time. think that's a lot. I would put that under underrated. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Or underseen. That's a, a fun-ass movie. Yeah. Curtis Hansen did that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's had a weird career. Yeah. Uh, a movie I've mentioned a couple of times, and it's also like on a lot of people's big-time classic lists, is uh, Aguirre, The Wrath of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, Werner Herzog movie back in the 70s. It's another survival on on the river type of movie. Um but uh, uh, Klaus Kinski, who's like always known as this uh, just absolutely impossible to work with, yeah. somehow worked with Werner Herzog several times, even though they hated each yeah. other. Uh, it's worth watching it just for just for how loony that guy is mm. and everything. But it's a great survival story. Um, Master and Commander. I was just going to hold my hand up and throw that one out. So I'm glad you said it. Yeah, that was a Peter Weir movie that I didn't like when I watched it. Now, I've heard a lot of people since say that they really enjoy this movie. I did. So, uh, yeah. I think it's one of the best naval adventure films ever. Really? I would probably put it under under scene because I don't know too many people that have seen Mm it. Mm -hmm. Um, Russell Crowe's great in that. And uh, Jarvis. Fuck. (laughs) Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be awesome if Russell Crowe was like, like you know, Jarvis. Tell us where our next uh, next heading is. I really um, like it. I would. I would. Throw I my remember weight watching it. it and going, oh, man. I, I, I didn't get it. The yeah, first time. And, and I'll have to watch it again. Blue Crush mm. ah. is another movie that I hear a lot of people kind of put in there, like, oh, I love that and everything. Made a sequel to that one too. Yes, they did. Boy, that's a pretty. Uh, that's a pretty. That's a pretty awful movie, though. Oh, I'm not a fan. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> Blue I wa- Crush. Yeah, I, Blue no, Crush. I, I watched it. I was like, eh. yeah, Kate Bos- Bosworth's kind of cute. Oh, but she's gorgeous. But I uh, don't. I don't really like the movie. No. Um, the Poseidon Adventure was another. I, I, and I haven't seen the original Poseidon Adventure. I saw the remake. The, the, oh, the original is good. Yeah, the original is great. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the original. Gene yeah. Hackman's in that. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Okay. And Ernest Borgnine. Yeah. yeah. And Shelley Winters. <laughs> it's got a great... Well, the fucking remake has Fergie in it. <laughs> yeah. Made a, yeah. I've told you this before. My college buddies, Josh and Andrew, and I watched the Poseidon Adventure. And then one night we were in the radio studio where I worked just goofing around. 
and we made up a song about the Poseidon adventure <laughs> where it's like <laughs> this is so embarrassing why did I even bring this up but Josh is like it's the song of the Poseidon adventure and then Andrew and I just started chiming in we were basically just on hot mics recording fucking around anyway but we end up shouting out that's how I knew all those names were in it because Josh goes with Gene Hackman Ernest Borgnine and Shelley Winters too <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> it's funny. Like I, I've, I've always, I think I've been subliminally turned away from Poseidon Adventure because, uh, in Swimming with Sharks, when Frank Whaley's talking to his buddies at the beginning of the movie, he's like, he's, he tells the story about Shelley Winters, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, uh, it's something about Shelley Winters who's going for a, some sort of contract or getting this, get this role and being asked to audition and apparently she keeps on putting out oscars in front of the director <laughs> and everything and uh and uh so like the the, the friends are like well, who's shelly winters he's like she's in a place in the sun she's in all these she's in all these great movies and they and they're still like looking at him like the poseidon adventure and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um another couple other ones that i thought of the abyss um mm -hmm. james cameron i that's one of his i don't know i've never been able to get into the abyss. oh really i really i like it a lot yeah i mean it, it's no that's for especially for its time another great special oh, yeah. effect movie and everything it's no sphere but it's uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's a little better than leviathan <laughs> right right exactly and deep star six um and then uh twenty thousand leagues under the sea oh yeah one. classic there's a there's a, obviously a million others that we haven't thought of but these are the ones that we that come to mind for yeah, us yeah. go on to some q a question question i got something to say I am listening. All right, let's do it, baby. Let's do it, baby. That's what I say. To Never mind. Well, <laughs> hey, speaking of which, what is the sexiest line ever spoken by a film mm. character? This is the fastest I have ever typed an answer down after reading the question. <laughs> fastest. Jennifer Lopez, you really wear that suit yeah. and out of sight yeah. up in the bar. Because that is a moment she completely admits that she's as into him as he is to her. That's where she breaks character and just can't help but compliment how fucking handsome he is. Yeah. And you know it's on. Mm -hmm. that. Uh, so I wrote that down instantly. I, thought, I just find that entire scene incredibly sexy and her character in it is incredibly sexy. And then I also remembered that line from this terrible movie, My Best Friend's Wedding, <laughs> that was in the trailer with Julia Roberts way back when she's still, I think, pretty young. Um and she's like at a baseball game and she holds, she's got some kind of tray and she's like, I've got moves you've never seen before. <laughs> and I, just, I remember many a boner from, from remembering that trailer. Uh, so anyway, those are, those are my answers. Chris. All right. Um, uh, mine is Greta Scacchi in the player. Um, mm. In the player there, you know, Tim Robbins character accidentally or, well, it, it's a weird, it's a kind of a weird scene. He either accidentally or in the middle of it realizes how far he's going to killing a guy. Yeah. And it just happens to be Greta Scotchy's husband or boyfriend in the movie. Uh, he's sort of racked with guilt about it, obviously. Uh, so later on in the movie, uh, he goes and starts talking to her and everything and like, uh, discussing uh all he gets intrigued by this gorgeous woman who's like you know painting and doesn't seem to really care about movies and everything um so they're at they they start sort of hanging out with each other enough to the point that when, at some point she goes 
why don't you put me in the hot springs and see if I melt? <laughs> <laughs> and the very next scene is is probably one of the most intense sex scenes. Oh, without, that's where they go out to the desert, right? To yeah, that resort? yeah, yeah. Without nudity that I have ever seen. Oh, yeah, nice. it's sweaty too. Uh, yeah, it's super sweaty, very close up, and there's like some sort of like bongo drum uh, <laughs> soundtrack going on during it and everything. <laughs> yeah. That's the only way I have sex. Yeah, exactly. Drums. Well, you have to. You know, it's uh, it's, hang on, honey. Let me press play on my CD player. I don't know what the hell it is. Some sort of island type of music or something going on in there. I'll probably go and pop it in, and oh, that's pretty normal music. What do you know? Or it'll Um, be like a Guns N' Roses song or something. Like, how did I forget this was in here? uh, One that I would like to mention, as far as is is sideways. When Virginia Madsen, and I don't remember how this whole quote goes, but I do remember her talking about wine, and she's basically talking about herself. Yeah, yeah. And she's like, and when you finally open it, it tastes so fucking good. (laughs) (laughs) And and you see Paul Giamatti's face, too, after she says that. And he's like, oh, yeah, I do know what you mean. That's a good one. So, anyway. I actually struggled with this a little bit because, like, it's hard to focus on a line besides out of sight popped into my head too immediately but when you think about that scene you think about the scene you don't mm-hmm. necessarily think about the line yeah you think about like the stealing beauty scene where mm. where she loses her virginity or like uh selma hayek and from dust till dawn mm-hmm. you know uh but there are a couple of ones that, that are really good the whole scene between clive owen and natalie portman and closer um where he's at the strip club oh yeah and it's this slow build because he's bought her services basically for in a private room for a while. And it's this repartee that's going back and forth. And it's very sexy and it's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, you know, he says basically, you know, you're, you're going to be mine at, at some point. And uh, she says, I'm not a whore, Larry. And he says, I wouldn't pay. and it's just that he's got that like locked in look on his eyes and eventually they do end up together so that's that's a very sexy one Mm -hmm. uh one of the movies you talk about underseen i don't think a lot of people have seen the wachowski siblings bound no Mm -hmm. no. Um, yeah it's a really really cool like thriller and everything that just happens to involve a lesbian that um kind of infiltrates this couple and so it's jennifer tilly and gina garchon uh really at their peak sexiness mm-hmm. and man it, it's really it's really enjoyable watch but there's a lot of sexual tension between them and gina gershon is kind of being you know seduced by jennifer tilly and there's one part where she says you know do you say they're sitting at a bar and she said do you feel unco- do i make you uncomfortable and gina gershon like kind of nervously sips her bottle and she's like no and uh jennifer tilly like lips her lips her lips and she's like Maybe I'm making you thirsty. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and I'm like, no, <laughs> oh. man. Yeah, that's a that's a really good movie. It's funny, man. The Wachowskis get the Matrix after the after the bow. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> it's just so it's so interesting to me. Although it's almost. Boy, I'm going to sound ignorant. It almost feels unfortunate that Bound is known most for the lesbian stuff because it's a great little film. Yes. yes. A great little caper, and I mm. enjoyed it greatly. And I think that gets overshadowed sometimes because it is such that's, a sexy movie. It really you know, is. That's a, that's a good question, by the way, maybe that we could talk about at some point, where a movie is great, but somehow, either because we're fucked up or because the movie fucked up, they put in 
really with with no intention of this they put in a great sex scene or some other kind of scene that sort of just completely overshadows the movie that you now you can see why i called chinatown the incest movie (laughs) yeah yeah right Right. exactly Right. <laughs> Luckily, there is no sex scene in that that one. No, uh, it's just. Uh, but you, you wouldn't want that. It anyway. overshadows it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or the adultery movies. Right. Right. Yes. All right. What are some of the best movies that are quote based on true events? Ooh. Now, this is an interesting uh, example that the the listener brought up. Uh, mine would have to be Fargo because of how insane it is. Thanks and keep up the good work. Thank you for that. Right. Now, and Fargo now. This was a famous thing with the Coen brothers. Mm. Well, now, I mean, maybe not famous, but when the movie came out and became a success, they they came right out and said, this didn't actually happen. Right. But what we wanted people to real like, this is type of stuff that does happen. Yeah. And we didn't want people to, we wanted people to go in the theater thinking, oh, this happened. And not sit there and think, oh, this is too far-fetched or whatever. Because shit like that happens all the time. <laughs> yeah. People are stupid. They're out of their depth. They don't know what they're doing when they when they try to commit these capers. Especially <laughs> like William H. Macy yeah, does. Yeah. Um, and uh, anything. But yeah, I mean, I know we know what the, the basic question is here uh-huh. yeah, and yeah. everything. And, and mine is going to go, I'm going to go with the big short. Um, yeah. I have a few actually. The Big Short is is the uh, one of recent memory that I, I, I love. I can pop it at any time. It's great. Mm. Um, and one that's right along that same type of fun and enjoyment is Catch Me If You Can. Oh <laughs> so man, great. that was on a couple days ago, and I thought, well, I'll just watch up to this one scene. You really can't <laughs> watch the whole goddamn movie. either one of those movies. You can't just start watching a little bit and then. And then go, all right, I'm done. Unless there's something really pressing. Yeah. Because because <laughs> every anyone you can pick them up any any point and just oh god, you're just every scene is great. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's kind of funny by the way. Today, Elizabeth Banks was getting oh uh, yeah getting roasted. Who she's in Catch Me If You Can mm-hmm. um, was getting roasted because she said that Spielberg doesn't do any movies with uh, a female with lead. a female lead. Now she's not wrong, mm. but she said he he never has, right. and Color Purple obviously did. But we're this is the problem I have with Twitter and and things yeah. like that. You know what she meant. Yeah, yeah. Yep. You know that it's true <laughs> to a, a certain extent. Well, what's funny is I saw the headline: Elizabeth Banks uh, rips on Spielberg. So I click through it and I read the quote first. He's never made a movie with a female lead, and I I immediately went, you know what? She's right. I started cycling through all these Spielberg movies that have male leads, and mm-hmm. I realized, and that's her point: is mm-hmm. that there's a huge disparity. I don't think that makes Spielberg a bad person. Uh, it just no. means that mathematically, you know. All but like three of his movies have male leads. Yeah, <laughs> and, and and you know I always I, I never blame a director for doing that because they may not have that the same kind of touch that they need to have a a, a you know lead female actor or yeah. whatever. I mean I think he does he did well with Jurassic Park. Laura Dern was mm-hmm. essentially a main character in that. But yeah, it's one of those to me like okay yeah you forgot about Color Purple. That's a that's a bad mistake, but you know what she meant. It's yeah. like whenever I said there's no gravity in space. <laughs> you motherfuckers know what I meant, goddamn yeah, it. Exactly. Tony shouldn't be falling into that goddamn hole. Yeah, you're always gonna be explaining that one, buddy. I know, but still well, you know, you signed off on that script too. Oh, I knew wait. What, I knew what you meant. 
Did Wait you? a minute, did I? I'm not sure. That was maybe, no, you didn't. Was you were out of time. town. That was during the time where. Um, no, that's all on me. No, you were. That was during the time. I think I may have written a, a couple on that Avengers, but not like a lot or anything. Still, you know what I meant. Yeah, <laughs> God damn it! Everybody knows what you meant. Everybody, everybody really knows what you meant on that. That's yeah. what we can't. That's the problem of the society we're in today. Yep. I'm on my soapbox. Yeah, bring it. You can't just. You can't just say something general without somebody coming up with a kind of like a cinema sense for life, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it's like you can't just say one thing that kind of, yeah, that's kind of a perfect thing. Actually, but wait a minute. Did you know that uh, <laughs> Spielberg <laughs> actually did do one with a female? It was the color purple, if you don't recall, well, back in the 80s. What's frustrating to me about this age we live in now, get off my lawn, is that you don't. No matter how articulate you are, you don't control the message you put out. Mm -hmm. And my best analogy for that is that Jennifer Lawrence article where she took complete blame for making less money than her co-stars and said, I need to be more assertive when I negotiate, yada, yada. And the, the only thing you heard was that she's $20 million actress whines about not making enough. That right. was the spin that Twitter and the media and everybody put on it. And then, you know, the only thing she can do is what? Put out another statement trying to clarify that. Yep. And then they're going to take whatever spin they want from that. So, I mean, it's like, even, yeah. if, even if she had said Spielberg's only had three movies with female leads and been said the exact right thing, they, they would still have spun her message however they right, would. Right, right. Exactly. So. Well, you mentioned coming in on movies and not being able to put them down. Social network yeah, gets me like that. Yeah, mm -hmm. And well, from both of the ones that I'm going to talk about, like obviously things were exaggerated and things were cinematically enhanced, but social network, man, it, it's just so gripping, you know, and mm -hmm. the whole, the whole rise of Facebook with the, these characters that weave in and out with the, the, um, the Justin Timberlake character and the Eduardo character, it, it's just absolutely gripping to me. And the same could be said about Goodfellas. Yeah. Um, I'm sure Henry Hill may not always be the most reliable narrator. Mm -hmm. um, just because half the time he's doing this, he's whacked out of his gourd. And the other half, you know, he's probably, he's he's a hyperbolic type of dude. Making himself look good yeah, in some way. Yeah, yeah, But if you do listen to him, and he's since passed away, but if you ever did listen to him when he did like radio interviews and things like that, he really talks. Ray Liotta nailed him. Oh, yeah. Because he really talks like that. And mm. it's this like just rapid fire type of this is what happened. This is what happened and everything. And it's just it makes for perfect cinema. So mm -hmm. good call. Good call. Yeah. Uh, my first one is The Happening. <laughs> You're right. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yep. <clears throat> man, that sucked when the wind was killing everybody. I think yeah. everyone remembers where they were when the plants started killing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, no. Uh, my first answer is uh, a movie I may never watch again, and it's United 93. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and if you were a student of film and you wanted to play a fun game, you might watch that movie and then World Trade by Oliver Stone. Mm-hmm. Night and day. Yeah. Yep. Night and day. Um, but United 93 is, it's very hard to watch because of the fact that you know this all actually did happen. Mm -hmm. um, at least the and crash. It's, and it's really close to what happened, too. Oh, yeah. This is based off of, like, the actual testimonies and everything. Yeah, yeah. And text messages and voicemails and all. I mean, they piece together most of it pretty well. It's fucking gripping. Yep. It's fucking gripping. It's, the, it's, it's so good, I think that he should be able to make whatever he wants, Paul Greengrass, um, forever mm -hmm. uh, because of how great that is. Uh, and I feel like it's a true 
testament to those people on that plane and what they did uh, because of how realistic he plays the whole thing. Mm. He casts almost no names that you recognize or faces you would recognize. Uh, and it feels very real. And uh, we've talked about it before, but that that one. And then I was going to go with Argo because I just love me some Argo. Mm, yep. mm-hmm. um, and the the period, the era specific period details in Argo really tickle me because this is just before I am aware of the world. Right. And the costumes and the cars and everything looks kind of like it did in my fleeting memories of the late 70s as a four or five year old kid. Um, anyway, and I like me some Affleck. What a weird Ben Affleck movie, right? I mean, that's not like nothing he's done before or since. Right? No, but mm-hmm. what's interesting to me is how he kind of genre hops. He's only made four movies, mm-hmm. really. I guess you would call two action. And they're actually both about like criminals, mm-hmm. but one's just set like 100 years ago right, right. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got this one. He sh- he's shown off so many different talents as a director. I can't wait. That's why I was so excited to see him do Batman, which he's not going to do now. But I can't wait to see his his next thing because he's he's very accomplished at action. I just watched The Town again the other day. It was on TV. Yeah, it's, it's just awesome. it's almost like he's made 20 movies yeah. when you watch that movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it just makes you wonder how long he's been paying attention as an actor behind the scenes to, to have that confidence. Uh, anyway, I love me some Affleck. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let's do one uh, inside baseball thing because it's fun. Uh the question is, uh, when you guys are writing the script for Sins videos or even researching for Sins, do you make use of IMDb's goofs section? Oh, um, goes on to define a goof as defined as IMDb is, quote, an, in- an unintentional error in the filmmaking process that in some way breaks the spell and takes us momentarily outside of the world created by the movie. Back in the day, I used to really worry about missing that big thing that everybody knows yeah. in a movie. Like the stormtrooper hitting his head. In Star Wars. Right. Stuff like that. Um, so in early, in, in the, we started this in 2012, and I only really started uh, really going deep into these things in 2013, because it was December of 2012 when we came out with our first videos. Mm. So in 2013, like I remember would I would write the stuff and then I would go to that goose page and I'd be like, is there anything big that I missed here? Now, uh, uh, you're sitting there reading this goose page, which by the way, that's that shit right there. You think, I mean, you hate, if you might, you know, people who hate us, imagine, imagine just listing all the shit that's in the goose. Like there, we're talking about some stuff that really doesn't matter. Those are the people we get accused of being. Right. The people who take it too seriously. Well, I remember, I remember seeing a comment on YouTube. One of our, one of our videos said something like, oh, I see how they do this. They just go to the IMDB goose page and they just write down their script on that. (laughs) And I was like, okay, did you go see the goose page for this particular movie? Because no, we fucking didn't. We're talking about goofs where it's like they're using uh, such and such uh, blah, blah, blah submachine gun here that wasn't invented until the following year. And like, you know, <laughs> you know it's, it's stuff like that. Um, this but, car in the background is blue, but Toyota never made a blue yeah, model. Right. Car. It's stuff like that. So like a lot of times... Uh, yeah, early on I would go and I'd look at it and yes, I would put something, write it away. I would go back to the movie and and watch it and just watch that part and be like, okay, what would we say about this? 
Um, and then it was it was just a it was very short lived, two months maybe that I did that. And then afterwards, it's just all been like, you know what? I don't really care whether or not we get every single last thing, even the big stuff, right. because this is our voice. This is what this is what we're doing. This is not the goose page of IMDb. Right. So, so Which I, is not funny. <laughs> right, it's not funny. Um, so in the end, the, the answer is no, mm. but in the past, yes, like a couple of months, I used to look at it. Mm. And not every time did I get anything. I mean, like a lot of times you'd look at it and like, oh, huh, I didn't notice that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so uh, the guy's shirt is unbuttoned and then it's buttoned. I don't, I don't, I gloss my eyes all right over those. Like those don't. Those don't matter to me like mm. a lot, unless they're like super obvious, yeah. like somebody has their shirt completely wide open <laughs> and then it's like closed in the next scene or whatever. But uh, but yeah, anyway. Well, I mean, it's not funny. It's not funny to point out that a shirt is unbuttoned and then it's buttoned again. Right. But I could like, see the context of it being funny if it was if parody. You, yeah. If you make it like if us. You, yeah. Right. If you make it your own thing yeah exactly where something has happened that the movie didn't explain and you make your own explanation out of it it can be funny but mm -hmm. but just but just saying oh in this scene we, we had we have done those sure in this scene you know the shirt is unbuttoned and then it's buttoned in the next one you know that we've done that but i think over time it start we started going you know what we don't need to do those not as much like you said it's got to be kind of glaring kind of obvious yeah all right i have a question good so I constantly find myself going back to watching films that I didn't th used to think were that amazing. But after after being offered a different perspective on how to watch the film, I found myself loving or having a better appreciation of it. The example that they give is Iron Man 3, which he originally hated. I would love to hear this explanation. I would, too, uh, purely because of the Mandarin twist. Uh, however, I went back to it after I heard a friend of mine talk about why they believe the twist is brilliant and found myself really liking it. So what films uh, do you... Uh, originally disliked, but found to be much better uh, when offered a different perspective. I'm going to tell you that I'm not going to answer this question the way it was intended. Um, I, I I don't know of too many that I just disliked and then and then read something about it and then mm -hmm. liked it better. Most of the movies that I read stuff about are stuff that I liked mm -hmm. and uh, have a greater appreciation for it afterwards. And that one is Inception. Mm -hmm. um, watching Inception on the surface and you get your own little ideas about everything is good enough. But then, um, then I was pointed towards this guy, Kyle Johnson, who mm -hmm. did a video on YouTube. It's about a 30 to 40 minute thing where he's in a classroom going through all the different themes and what certain things might mean and all this other stuff. And it really gave me a greater appreciation for inception. Mm. Like, uh, started, it started making me think, Oh yeah, I didn't ever really thought about that before. Even though you thought about, you thought you thought about everything at yeah. that point, uh, explanations about like, why does the, why is the, uh, corridor that DiCaprio's running through start getting, you know smaller as he goes through it mm -hmm. and all this other type of stuff like um uh we think that's the real life because he's going to interview hardy and everything but there's a lot of things in that scene like tom hardy like uh, uh during the gambling he he doesn't really do anything but he comes back with tons of chips mm -hmm. and then like during that whole chase scene in that city when dicaprio's running and that corridor starts getting smaller that's a lot of evidence pointing to the fact that he might be in a dream world there. And, and it's something that, you know, we never really 
And, you know, we don't, we, we sit there and if you take it at face value, we think he's in the real world because that's what he's here to do is to get Hardy on the team mm-hmm. and everything. And then you start thinking about stuff like that. Yeah. Well, it's even crazier when the guy that hired him pulls up right there. He's yeah, like, yeah, oh, yeah. hey, you need a lift? Here's right, a car. Right, right. I'll rescue yeah. you from those exactly. two guys chasing you. I mean, the movie has always done this thing where, where you sit there and wonder, was he in the dream world? Was this whole, whole was this inception like a whole inception for him mm. more than it was for mm. to, to get this, you know, guy, to, Killian Murphy to, you know, learn this shit about his business or whatever. Um, it, it's, it's, it's some, it's like, oh, well maybe he, maybe it's for DiCaprio because he's so far down into this world. We're trying to reach him. Yeah. We're trying to save him and everything. Mm. So that's where, that's a lot of the stuff that sort of builds onto that and everything. He also touches on one thing and I don't think he goes into great detail about it, but the one thing that always upset me about our video that we did was so many people were saying that, uh, DiCaprio's ring was his totem yeah. where, where, you know, where he, it's like, okay, I like that explanation, but why does he keep spinning the fucking top yeah. and, and he's ready to blow his brains out yeah. if it doesn't work. Yeah. If that, if that's the case. And I mean, maybe that, maybe it's a sort of a clue as to the fact that he's so far gone that he, he still thinks that, you know, Mal's totem is, is his, is his, or, or that he can use it that way or something like that. But he, he never really like does anything with his fingers where he, He's like feels that ring or mm-hmm. anything like that. And you would think that'd be the first thing you'd go to. That was one of the, he, but he, that, that Kyle Johnson guy does address it briefly. He's like, Oh yeah, there's some people who think that that might be his totem. And then he, he moves, on, he moves <laughs> on, which I, I don't agree with that at all. But, uh, that's uh that's a movie that I like better after hearing. Nice. This nice. Uh, mine is not a movie. It's a TV show and it's the Simpsons. Mm. Ah, nice. Mm. Because the Simpsons launched when I was in high school. Now, not a show based on even just its previews that my parents were likely to let me watch. So my exposure is the commercials I see for it, and then all those goddamn don't have a cow man, mm-hmm. eat my shorts <laughs> t-shirts that mm-hmm. I saw in high school. And I feel like Fox was marketing a different show than what the creators of The Simpsons were actually making. Mm-hmm. Um, and for whatever reason, they started to move away from having those moments of Bart kind of like because Bart is not the focus right. you watch this show this shows as much about Homer as anybody else and it's a satire about American life and I just I didn't have any idea because mm-hmm. of what I was seeing on commercials and shirts I just thought it was crude mm-hmm. I just thought it was a crude hey man yeah. I'm a kid I don't like authority so then I get to college and I'm rooming with this guy Brian who's a Simpsons fanatic and also the guy that giggles hysterically and contagiously <laughs> And he would just constantly play Simpsons. <clears throat> anyway, and of course now I love it. Um, yeah. But, you know, because of the environment in which I was exposed to at first and then second, I had those two completely different reactions. I didn't have any interest in The Simpsons until people I respected their opinions started saying, oh, no, this show's really funny. And then you start showing me the hockey episode <laughs> and the softball episode. And I'm like... This show is not about Bart being a brat. God damn it. <laughs> it's what their marketing's about. Yeah. Yeah, they... Uh... I've want I've want, I have stopped watching The Simpsons over the last three seasons, but I stayed in there for a really long time. <laughs> um, I I've watched it since the first season, but I never knew about it on the Tracy Ullman show or anything yeah. like that until later on. Uh, but uh, but yeah, it's an it's an interesting thing to look at the history of The Simpsons. the The first couple of seasons, obviously, the animation's not very good. 
but I but there's some charm to some of those first couple of seasons. They were really trying to make something cinematic a lot of times mm. in, in their animation, even though the actual drawing and everything wasn't great and everything. But the first five or six seasons of The Simpsons, I'll put that up against any series mm-hmm. oh, yeah. uh, of all time. I don't care what you like. The Simpsons' first six seasons yeah. are fantastic. They are. And then there's still some good episodes after that, but uh, those that's the goal. Naked and Afraid. Yeah, yeah, okay. The Simpsons is better. The first five seasons of Naked and Afraid. <laughs> the is, Simpsons is better than the those first five I seasons. What if they have had statement. five seasons of? I don't Naked know. And I'm I'm constantly surprised because what I'll do is I'm such a loser. I'll go I'll go to TV Guide and I'll click on the link that says what's new tonight uh-huh. to find out if what what episodes of shows more are like m- what's nude tonight because <laughs> I don't want to watch a rerun right. Um, and I'm every time I do that, I'm like, that show's been on for seven seasons. What the fuck? <laughs> I always see an example like that where I just I had no idea. Like America's Next Top Model, I guess it's coming back. It'll uh-huh. be like it's twenty something season. Jeez. Or whatever. Wow. And you just don't think about that. No, no. Uh, I have a recent example, and it was from Chris actually. Mm. So in Get Out, um, it's a wonderful movie. I loved it the first time I watched it. Watched it again recently, and Chris had written something uh, that got my attention that I didn't think about before. And it was the relationship between the main character and his best friend Mm -hmm. and how their paths kind of mirror each other. Uh, Chris, the, the, the character and Rod, uh, his friend in different time periods, Mm -hmm. Chris, when he was a kid and then Rod, when he's an adult, he's treating Chris as Chris did his mother. And he's, he's trying to, to, to make sure that he gets him back Mm -hmm. and never really thought about it. Like there's a million different ways that you can think about get out in terms of racial satire, in terms of, you know, the, the racial environment that we're in in terms of humor, in terms of horror. But that was something that I hadn't thought about. And that just added another layer to what's a brilliant film. So I got to tell you, I I have never been more lost narrating a script for a movie. I haven't watched (laughs) than that one. I know I say this a lot, but that was the worst. I even, I think it's even on the audio track. I'll, I go, I am so fucking lost right now because I didn't know who anyone was. Uh, but yeah, yeah um, it's uh, it was something that, you know, the thing that you're bringing up is something that I noticed on this second viewing um, was because they, they made a big deal about, you know, his they make a big deal about him and when his mom dies and mm. everything. And then, yeah, there's a scene later where Rod is basically doing the exact same things that Chris was doing back then yeah, and uh, everything. And I was like, that's such a nice touch. And I, I had never heard anybody talk about it before. Now, I had another. now it, it could be somewhere out there on the Internet that somebody brought this up and everything. But I was really happy with with finding yeah. that. So very cool. All right, uh, that'll do it for the Syncast this week. Please keep going to SoundCloud and giving us your thoughts. Yeah, a lot of thoughts. A lot of uh, agreement, a lot of conversation between uh, listeners. Keep it up, man. Uh, We love it. We love hearing from you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, well, I'll do it for this week. Chris Atkins and Jeremy Scott and Barrett Sherrill. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com. So today on, on the TV in the background, because um, I didn't change the channel after I turned it on, was D2, The Mighty Ducks, mm. the sequel. Mm. <laughs> this movie is so preposterous that I 
fell in love with it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like I never like there's a whole generation and I think they're behind me. Uh, of of kids that grew up and they adore the Mighty Ducks movies mm-hmm. like they're beloved. I haven't seen the second one maybe ever. Have you ever seen it? Never seen any of them. Okay, so really, the second nope. one, he's like the coach's approach to coach the junior Goodwill Games Team USA team because he did such a good job job with the Mighty Ducks in the first movie, and so it cuts <clears throat> immediately to him outside. Um, Josh, what's his name from? Dawson's Creek, Joshua Jackson. Mm-hmm. He's the, one of the stars of these movies. Pacey. Yeah. And he goes, hey, you want to play some hockey? And then it cuts to Joshua Jackson in his Mighty Ducks jersey, rollerblading around the city. And he's picking up all of his Mighty Ducks teammates. And like it, every time it cuts, there's a new one with them skating by. And they're like stealing old man's hats and like knocking over bikes and shit, <laughs> hooting and ducking all through town. Because apparently they all live in the same fucking city. <laughs> right? And it's like New York or L- it's a ginormous city. It comes into play later. And this game's just ridiculous because the main conflict is that Gordon lets his celebrity as the coach of this team go to his head. That's uh, uh, Emilio Estevez. Estevez. Gordon yeah. is the coach. Sorry. Well, if you haven't seen the movie, talking in character names is not going to help you. <laughs> so he's letting celebrity go to his head. At the Junior Goodwill Games. <laughs> How much celebrity is there? Yeah. Right? Like, <laughs> anyway, so, and then he goes on a date with this woman from the Iceland delegation, because Iceland is the big enemy team in this tournament. <laughs> and I don't even know if they play hockey in Iceland for real, but they certainly don't play it enough to have, like, the best team in the world at the <laughs> junior level. Um, and that's you know, kind of like a mini you know, 1980s Miracle on Ice kind of thing where they set them up as the villains and the other coaches mean and all that shit. But, but anyway, Gordon goes on a date with this woman, walking down the street, talking. They're not flirting, holding hands or anything. They're just walking. And two of his own players see him and they get pissed because she's from Iceland. Oh. <laughs> Let's also not forget two of his own players just bumped into him randomly in New York fucking city. <laughs> anyway, shortly before I turned it off, they, they just lost 12 to 1 to Iceland. And they had the day off from from practice because he'd been working them too hard. What do they do? They go out to this field and start working out and doing calisthenics. And somebody asks, why are we doing this? We have the day off. And they're like, we have a game tonight. We got to be ready. Remember that. They have a game tonight. Mm -hmm. Then this inner city kid starts taunting them from outside the fence about how terrible their Team USA spirit is, and my boys could take you. Then they go play against an entirely black inner-city rollerblade hockey team. Wow. That schools them and teaches them how to play real gritty hockey. (laughs) And one of the guys has a shot called the knuckle puck. (laughs) And when he shoots it, it behaves like a knuckleball. (laughs) I kid you not. And they get bruised and beat up on the fence. They have a game tonight. Oh my God. Anyway, that's when I had to turn it off and come down here. But I I think I'm going to watch the rest of it when I get home, just because it it happens sometimes where a movie just beats you over the head with preposterousness and you just, it's like sudden death when Jean-Claude's playing goal. Uh, (laughs) At some point, I just give in. And I'm like, okay, you got me. I love this movie. Anyway, The amount of time it takes to be great in a sports movie is always crazy small. Like, you know, 
I, I, it's, it's just funny to me. Like, it's like their competition is next week. And then, but with a montage, yeah. suddenly they're experts or with one player, you know, like, like bad news bears, they yeah. get Jackie Earl Haley and he's, they're suddenly awesome yeah. because one guy goes on their team and, uh, and everything. I always talk about this with the natural too. Like there's no telling how many, how much losing, the New York Knights have done before Roy Hobbs even joins the team. <laughs> and then, then he joins them and they don't play him for like a whole month or something like that. And then, then he finally gets a chance. And I guess they go on like this, like they win 40 in a row or something <laughs> because they would have had to, to get in the position that they did. But then there's a point where he like starts dating memo and he's like, you know, he's like, not doing well and they're losing all the time yeah, yeah. and all that so they're losing even more yeah that's, that's <laughs> crazy nobody did the man. math on that season yeah exactly <laughs>